Hi, this is Sean Sipos. I play Adam Strange on Krypton, and you're listening to Neil Before Pod. Neil Before Blog presents Neil Before Pod. The date is 16th of March at time of recording, and it's all gotten out of hand. Constant Batman reboots are plaguing our cinemas and streaming services, each one darker than the last. Content is everywhere. Podcasts are everywhere. How is anyone supposed to be heard in the white noise? I'm Craig, and I host Neil Before Pod. I lead discussions to try and make sense of Batman, of DC, of everything. Over 200, and it's still not enough. But we fight on. Joining me for this discussion is the faithful butler with perhaps some special forces experience in his past, Aaron. Hello. Good evening, sir. It was a good one of Alfred impressions. Take your pick. Which one do you want to be? There's some to choose from. It was more of a Michael Goff, I think. I couldn't really get the special forces in there, so that I had to do. Yeah. And next up is our very own boy wonder, Isaac. Hello. Hello. How's it going? Going good. Uh, it's a rainy night in Gotham City, as always. It doesn't do anything but rain. So we are here to discuss The Batman, the recent release in cinemas from director Matt Reeves. So let's just start with a bit of our connection to Batman as a character. We've probably discussed this before on various podcasts about things that featured Batman, but it's good to revisit it. So Aaron, why don't you start? What's your connection to Batman as a character? The first time I started watching will have been the cartoon that we have many times referenced in our shows here. And as a kid, that really impressed me. I think as an adult, it still would, but it was really well done. And then later years, I think I've just liked the fact that he's human and he has to do it all himself with his own intelligence rather than being the chosen one or being gifted a power. He's a human who's decided to try and make a difference in his city and he can't rely on some immense energy from super powerful beings to jump in and solve the problems for him. And as an adult, that's kept my interest in the character cool and do you have a favorite version of batman the animated one you've already mentioned but out of cinema releases i guess and i suppose the animated one has released in cinemas in some instances but out of the cinematic batman we've had do you have a favorite not including this one just out of the ones before this one that limits it to how many just two adam west michael oh, keaton no no don't even mention that. <laughs> val kilmer george clooney Ben Affleck. Well, I'd forgotten they changed it so often throughout the... I can't remember the Schumacher run. I'd forgotten how many how many people had jumped in there, actually. Easily Ben Affleck. Okay, cool. Isaac, what's your connection to Batman as a character? I started around the time of the... I think it was just before The Dark Knight. I didn't grow up with any sort of comic stuff when I was a kid. I kind of joined in later. But I think what I really like in terms of reading Batman comics and stuff is you can just buy one it's not like say if it was spider-man or superman or whatever their stories are super interconnected all the famous stories require all this knowledge whereas like say like top three of the common top three batman ones like killing joke and what's it called year one dark knight returns and stuff you can just go and buy them you don't need anything else (laughs) the whole story is within that and it's not connected to anything so i think that's what i really like about the batman stories just so easy to read (laughs) you don't have to follow up with this background thing or catch up with like 40 years of other comics, it's like, oh yeah, here's one. He's just fighting a guy. It's super easy. I, yeah, I also really early watched Batman Forever, which I loved. I don't think I watched it as a kid, but I think I watched it around early teenage years. And I like a goofier Batman. I like a bit of the sort of silliness that's in it. Like, There's a reason he's stuck around and been so popular. <laughs> his villains are really good. Lots of his stories are really 
good. You know, it's a, a character that's kind of easy to get to work. Everyone kind of likes reading or watching Batman stuff. And do you have a f- favourite cinematic iteration? You mentioned Batman forever, but is Val Kilmer your favourite Batman then? I think I'm going to go with Val Kilmer as my favourite Batman. My connection to Batman is I read comics featuring him growing up and I watched the animated series as well here and there, again, growing up in the 90s. He's not my favourite comic book character. There's so many versions of him to choose from in terms of what you like out of him. And I think a lot of the cinematic stuff leans into maybe things I don't want to see necessarily or things I find a little bit limiting, which we'll definitely talk about in the context of this film. I do like the character, but I like him more when he's not a sillier, like a bit more of a balance. So I like him to share a world with people like Superman and the rest of the Justice League and have these outlandish villains as well as the more grounded villains like the Joker and the Riddler who is in this film and so on. The animated series is probably my speed as Batman because it gives you all of that and then by extension you get the Arkham games which are essentially that but probably a much darker take. In terms of cinematic Batman, Ben Affleck for me as well I think because he is very much in that world. He shares that world with different characters and still retains that darker edge that people seem to like. There's a lot of variety with Batman. I haven't actually disliked any of the cinematic versions, but I have issues with all of them and I like aspects of all of them. So I don't think I've quite had my Batman yet in cinema, even including this one. So yeah, it's a complicated character because there's been so many different takes on it, but I guess that's part of why we're here. So in terms of this film, let's just relay our spoiler-free thoughts on this film. So, Aaron, you go first. What did you think of this movie? Did you enjoy it? And is it everything you wanted and more from a Batman movie? That's a difficult hurdle to get over, but I will say, yes, I really did enjoy it. It was still too long for me. Even as somebody who really enjoyed it, I did find the the run time difficult to sit through, just my age or whatever. But I got through it all and I actually managed to watch the whole thing without feeling too bad. But it's almost one of the biggest things about it that you just can't get past. So I have to bring it up. But if I then put that aside, I did really enjoy it because I did want to see, as mentioned on these podcasts many times, a darker universe. This is the Batman that I've been talking about in our podcast for many, many years now and, and I was really glad to see it and was very glad to see Robert Pattinson doing such a good job with it. Stylistically as well, I really enjoyed it. The best example of it would probably be when, without spoiling any plot, I can say he comes out of the shadows in a train station and you hear him first in the shadows and then you see him. And that was a way of showing what he was as someone who uses fear against his enemies without having to have a massive long exposition about how he's learned all this theatrics from the League of Shadows. I can't remember what the name is, but you know what I mean, Raz al Ghul. So that very theatricality was right there in it in a very dark but practical way. They've given us stuff like that before, but this one I just thought did it the best. Sure, okay. Isaac, what were your thoughts? Yeah, I absolutely loved this movie. I thought it was amazing. I know a lot of people had issues with the runtime. When it started feeling like it was getting towards the end, I was like, oh, okay, cool. It's it's really zoomed along. Uh, Especially we've we've had a few modern superhero movies like Endgame and Zack Snyder's Justice League that have been pushing marathon films. And I think if people are happy to watch, not for every film, but we might see more films pushing three hours as a runtime. And I think especially... One like this where it is, it's not a spoiler to say it's a detective story more than an action film. It's a slower pace than a Nolan or a Zack Snyder Batman. But no, I've loved it. I think it's also quite a 
a lot of hope and niceness in there as well as mixed in with the darkness. There's humanity sort of kicking around the edges that if they do a couple more of these films, I think that might build up more in this world. It might be like a world that gets better. I guess obviously we'll talk more in spoilers, but with allowing Patterson, I think he is my favourite. Valcomer without him, but I think Patterson's going to take over as the new best Batman for me. Okay. My thoughts on it is I thought this film was okay. I gave it three stars when I reviewed it and I still stand by that. The more I think about it, the more issues I concoct in my head that I had with it. It is far too long. It definitely is. And I don't think the story that it's telling justifies its runtime. I had some issues with the way the villain was presented and even with the way Bruce slash Batman was presented as well. We'll get into that in detail. But yeah, I thought it was okay. And I'm not just saying that because it's not what my preferred version of Batman would be, but also I didn't feel like it was different enough to what came before other than some of the stylistic differences i didn't really see it as being vastly different to the christopher nolan series for example i think that matt reeves essentially just made another one of those but put his own spin on the christopher nolan style so i do have issues with it there's parts of it i really liked as well and there's stuff i would like to see built on but on the whole i don't subscribe to the concept of it being a masterpiece or or things like that as some people have been coining it but there are things about it that are very good i won't say more without getting into spoilers so we should just do that now we should just activate the spoiler signal and shoo away all the people that don't want spoilers they can all go home and hide from out of the darkness comes the spoilers right let's just start with Bruce Wayne slash Batman, since this is what the film's about. I found it interesting that they went straight into the year two thing. So we don't get any of the origin stuff. You find out that his parents were killed through dialogue. You find out, well, really nothing about the whole how he became Batman and things like that. The film does tell you he's on a mission of vengeance, but not a lot else. So you're thrown straight in. You're in the middle of a story. It is like you're picking up a graphic novel that isn't connected to anything else. It's just, you're straight in there. You're ready to do it. And... You just have to follow the story. It's like Spider-Man in that way, where they're just expecting you to accept that Batman exists and get on with it, which definitely has its merits because we don't have to see the Waynes murder in an alley again. We don't have to see him training or whatever else. But I do think there's problems with that too because I find myself questioning where the setup came from, where he got his skills and and whatever else. So I don't think they did enough to explain that. Aaron, what did you think of this version of Bruce Wayne slash Batman? I feel like I might in the future end up agreeing with Isaac that this might end up being my favourite Batman because you'll get to see more of him than I will have done with the Ben Affleck stuff. I've liked both of them. I've liked both of the angles that have come in with these two characters that I don't think any of the other films have really gone into. I don't think they wanted to go into them. And I'll I'll struggle to pick apart the two of them. But if we see more of this, then seeing his development, I didn't need to see any of that origin story. I don't know that any of us need to see that again. He's such a well-known character. I think the writers can afford to make the assumption that if you're going to see this film, you know it. And there's no harm in using your audience's assumptions. If you wrote this film in a different era, you'd have to play with it. But for now, you don't. So just use it. Write your character for the the modern day that you're writing in. So no problems with that at all. And then bringing on a younger Batman who is lost in his origin story, I suppose, because that's where he is. He's at this vengeance stage I think is a great angle, and I really enjoyed that. Primarily, I suppose, because I don't think I remember a previous film Batman go through a learning point 
an actual evolution in the script. The Batman had their problems. They might have overcome what was going on in the moment. But with this Batman, you actually get to see someone really living out vengeance. When he meets those people, that gang, in the underground station, and he lets the guy just have it. At the end, when he's beating on the main villains, the minions of the Riddler, he lets them have it. I know he's a bit drugged up at that last point, but it still comes from that angle of vengeance. And it's only at the moment where he sees the danger of what's actually birthed when he unleashes vengeance that he has to make a, a personal choice. And I did like to see that. And I thought Robert Pattinson really delivered an excellent Batman with that. He almost, I thought at the start, was going to get a bit of a chain around his leg when they started doing a very emo voiceover. And I thought, oh, I don't know if I like this. I don't want him to narrate. But I saw it on YouTube that it was to mimic the comic book source material where Batman is narrating the, the start of is it the something Halloween, the long Halloween. I forget you have to tell me. Is it? The long Halloween, yeah. Long Halloween. It's really just giving you that source material as flavor. Oh, fair enough. It's also a detective story staple, isn't it? Where the protagonist will narrate in that way. Although that would be throughout. And I thought, oh, I actually don't want that throughout because... Whereas I do like dark, I'm kind of glad they didn't make it noir. And there is always that possibility of it being noir because you've got a very definite femme fatale. It's all there, but I don't think they lean into that too heavily. They keep it, as Isaac says, the detective story rather than the pure noir. They could have gone either way and it might have been good, but I did actually value what was given to me by Robert Pattinson and, and the writers for As It Is nod your hat to your source material but then move into what you're doing and what you're doing here is a young angry batman who doesn't really know what he's doing yet he's got a purpose he's got a direction but his method of travel is far from being resolved at this point it's not decided and you do feel that i think in the writing and in the acting yeah i think with Robert Pattinson, the material lets him down slightly because he is very detached throughout the film. So he doesn't actually have a great deal to work with. What he does have to work with is good and he does well with it. But he's very one note for most of the film. He gets really angry sometimes, such as when he's interrogating the Riddler. But for the most part, his performance is very samey throughout. That's a deliberate choice because he spends most of the film in the Batman costume. He only suits down a couple of times, really. The idea is that Bruce Wayne doesn't exist. He's abandoned that side of his life. He doesn't think that's important. He thinks the mission is everything. So it's that particular point in his development where he hasn't found that balance and he's deliberately living this... Not deliberately, but the film is deliberately positioning him as living through this unhealthy obsession with the self-imposed mission he's given himself, which I think limited the potential for Robert Pattinson to show what he was capable of as a performer, because, like I say, it was, it was one note throughout, largely. So I find it difficult to engage with him in that respect, because I wasn't getting an awful lot. I was getting a lot of the same stuff scene to scene, and I felt like it was kind of repetitive, especially when you're hitting the two and a half hour mark and you still haven't really seen him do much else beyond what you've been seeing the whole film. So there is a bit of development there, but it comes too late for me. The only way I could agree with any of that, I think, is at the end, because it's a three-hour film, I would like to have seen more of the build-up to him realising the problem of vengeance and responding to it. And maybe we could have used a half an hour at the end of the film to do more of that. But for the rest of it, 
if they'd have put that sort of stuff in, it really would have got in the way for me. If he'd have suddenly made wisecracking jokes, and he says something to Selena when she opens the safe, and you could have turned that into an Adam West-style wisecracking joke, but it would have ruined it. It would have shown that he isn't really very angry. And to me, the whole point was he's so angry that the rest of it is blocked. When he gets challenged by Alfred to think differently, consider something outside of his scope, he attacks, almost like an angry teenager, to say, no, I'm coming for you. You are completely wrong. I don't need to hear what you're saying because you are completely wrong. I think they do give him moments where he has realizations. So he's in the hospital room and he starts to see the effect of it. To me, the balance was played. I don't think they could have done any more. It almost feels like you're saying a film needs to give the actor room to do a set of emotions. And I'm thinking, no, the period of three films, I'll grant you that, because that would work for me. If he evolves over all three films, in fact, I would want that. I want to see him to be slightly different in the second film. But if if you want him to show a range of emotions here and now, it would completely undermine for me the whole point of him being lost in the anger of being completely unable to deal with it. And I know it doesn't give you much range, but when he just attacks the guy again, to come back to that same reference, attacks the guy in the underground station, he doesn't say anything. He just goes for him. And that is actually a purposeful choice. But then when he's actually challenged and people do talk to him, he does give him the anger. And I think you do see enough moments of not anger in things like when he sees the young boy at the funeral and he's staring at him for a while. And there's almost a look of confusion on his face. How do I deal with this? I know this is important. I know it happened to me. And you can almost see this idea of, should I go over and say something? Well, what am I going to say? Because I've chosen the path of vengeance. Do I want to put a little kid on that? And I know I'm adding in the words myself, but there is actually a point when, say, the bedside and then at the funeral, where you're seeing something that isn't just anger. So I think you're possibly being a little harsh there. That's why I said it was deliberate, because I recognise that that was the intention. It's not that they were trying to do this and then they failed. It was clear to me that, that they were trying to set up the film in this way, but my issue with it was I just found it very repetitive and I found it difficult to latch on to the character of Bruce Wayne slash Batman for that reason. So it's, it's very much a personal reaction. I know a lot of people don't have that problem with it, but I definitely do because it was very little to latch on to. And I would have liked to see Robert Pattinson have more to play with because I know he's a very capable performer and he certainly did a good job here, like I said, but I wanted more and didn't get it. And I think there was definite scope for more, but... Again, the film wasn't trying to do that. Like I said, it's not that it was making those attempts and missing the mark every time. It wasn't in the mission statement, so to speak. I'll let you go to Isaac in a minute, but I just think that raises an interesting question that I'd like to come back to at some point, which is, do you feel that this has been made as part of not a multiverse, but its own small universe, and therefore done on purpose? Because in the old days of making a film. You made a film and you walked away. If you got a sequel, you were lucky and you arranged it later. Very few films, things like Back to the Future, were booked two films at once. I think the rest of cinema, even back in the old Batman days, they didn't bother doing that. But now, has this come along knowing that it's going to be three films and I don't even know, at least one TV series, if not two or three, And therefore, they can afford to make that choice because they know the audience is going to be expecting to see 
multiple films. They don't have to give you all in one anymore because they know the audience is expecting to see multiple films, multiple medium. Yeah, I think with franchise filmmaking and TV show making, they are making something with maybe the spin-off or the sequels in mind. Whether they get them or not is another story. Obviously, famously, the Amazing Spider-Man series. They were planning, we're going to do like 10 spin-offs of this and we're going to make three more films. So this is where he's at at this point. So we don't need to resolve it here because we'll resolve it later or pick it up in a spin-off or whatever. I think that mentality is there whether the thing is guaranteed to be successful or not, because that's just the way that studios want to do things now. They want to think about the long-term plans for these things and maybe Matt Reeves and so on, who made this, want to think three films ahead or whatever. So yeah, I do think that's definitely in mind. I think this is the first part of a development cycle that will probably persist through a trilogy because trilogies are usually the way these things play out, isn't it? They do three of them and then either do more or rethink it or whatever. But I think you can be reasonably confident that Batman will at least get another one. The last time they tried it with Ben Affleck, maybe not so much. They were trying to force it too much and there was too many mistakes made. We've talked about that at length on other podcasts. But they were doing the same thing. They were planning three films ahead with him as well. So I think there's a definite eye on there's going to be more than just this film. That's for sure. Which we'll talk about when we get to other characters, I suppose. Some of them might have been underserved by that concept. Isaac, what did you think of this Bruce and Batman as a character? No, I think, like both of you were saying, this is a part one of many, or of three-ish. And I think he says it as part of the opening narration that his current Batman isn't really making the success that he wanted. People are still, like, in the scene where he beats up the street gang. The civilians are also scared of him. This is when he's just all rage and this sort of single, like, tunnel vision crusade thing. And then we sort of go towards the end when he's helping people and he realises, I can do more than just beat up criminals. I'm going to see him evolve over probably three films, and this is just the steps where he's going to go from the one-note Batman vengeance character to being also having some, as I said in the spoiler-free section about the humanity and there might be some more compassion coming up. I'd be mean, nice to see to be honest, because I was thinking when they saw the bit when he's got the flair and he's helping everybody and stuff, is that the first time in a film where he's just sort of helping people out of a situation? I don't think I've seen Batman help anyone before outside of Adam West. George Clooney, I think, he was at the weird auction, remember, in Batman and Robin, where you could win a date with Batman or whatever it was. Oh yeah, there was that. I suppose that also ties with the Adam West style. I think this film did feel a little Adam Westy. There was something about it, just kind of... Wow. <laughs> That's a take. That's definitely a take. He wasn't always on the move. So like the Ben Affleck or the Christian Bale ones, which were sort of more of like a legendary monster than in this one. He's just sort of stood around with the police and trying to like the detective on spot in the things. And the mansion had the Shakespeare bus. And I was like, yeah, I can see this guy lifting it up, having a phone <laughs> under there and a button to his car and whatever. He did a little run up the wall. Not like this will become an Adam West thing, but I got a sense of it's a little Adam Westy. There's a little bit of fun. It's not as dark and awful as initially looking and that's kind of what not like i hope it rolls to but this is the first proper batman the detective in live action i mean i've not seen Zack snyder's justice league but i'm assuming ben affleck doesn't do much detecting in it no he does quite a lot in batman v superman though he's sitting looking over evidence and stuff well i say quite a bit there's essentially one scene but it's a very long scene so he does that i know yeah i don't remember that and we had a photo. That's all I remember. I don't remember that movie very well. But this is, before anything else, this is a detective story with Batman, and that's the aim we're going for. Oh, and like you were saying about, yeah, we don't need to see his art. Same with Spider-Man. We know who these characters are. <laughs> and if it was, say, from our recording point of view, we've got, like, Moon Knight and Ms. Marvel coming up with Marvel. And if they just jumped in, it was like, oh, this guy's just an Egyptian god 
Warrior Man. Okay, that'd be really weird. <laughs> Literally nobody knows what was going on. But with Tom Holland, Spider-Man, all this Batman, we know what this guy is. We know the deals. I think we can safely bypass a lot <laughs> of common knowledge. Oh, it's Bruce Wayne. I liked how uncomfortable he was. He always looked like he was feeling really vulnerable and prone. Batman is essentially a knight going out to fight every day. <laughs> and he's always got like his armor and his gear on. So I suppose if he was kicking around a crowd expecting danger to show up, it's kind of like a vulnerable alert moving from, I suppose, a predator to more like prey. He doesn't feel as safe. He doesn't feel as in control. He's still kind of a teenager, <laughs> which makes sense because he is just a billionaire who, from like the age of 10, has single-mindedly gone on this idea. <laughs> so he's got all this rage and this anger and he's just been able to do it, go for whatever weird ideas he's had. So I guess he would be kind of a bit bratty. <laughs> yeah, we've had different takes on Bruce Wayne over the years. The Michael Keaton version was a weird recluse. He was known as a weird recluse. No one's seen him in public in however long and he's just a bit of a weirdo. Val Kilmer was, I think, a captain of industry type. He was very involved in his company and knew what was going on there. George Clooney was more like a celebrity socialite type guy, which fits in a way. The Christian Bale version acts like a jackass when he's not Batman so that no one will try and associate him with Batman because he's clearly an idiot, at least as far as the public sees him. Ben Affleck's Bruce Wayne, just a weird alcoholic billionaire, I suppose. I think that's what they were trying to get out with that. And this one is... Well, there is no Bruce Wayne. He's someone that hasn't been seen in a long time. So when he makes a public appearance, it's a big deal. And then that feeds into the setup of he's not interested in that part of his life anymore. Alfred even talks about, you're about to lose your fortune, which is weird to bring up and not do anything with. And he says, I don't care. Even though he probably has an operating budget that's funded by that fortune that he should probably think about, but never mind. But he doesn't care about being Bruce Wayne anymore. He'll sleep during the day, he'll put on the armour and he'll go out at night. And that's Bruce Wayne for him. Yeah, it was difficult to tell how, because like a lot of people recognised him, like beat cops or people at the funeral and stuff. They're just like, oh, it's Bruce Wayne, which doesn't quite fit in with this thing of this is a very reclusive Bruce Wayne. I don't know how much his face is a thing in Gotham, but apparently he's still like a recognisable one street guy. I guess it made sense for the mayor candidate to know him because she knew his father. Anybody that knew his father was fine, I think. Accounts for Falcone as well. Yeah, I was more thinking of the guy in the funeral. I mean, there's one bit where there's some like police like parent. I was like, oh, it's Bruce Wayne over there. How do they know? <laughs> just some guy. I think you can explain that quite easily, actually, in modern culture, because it was set in the modern day. And you've got to imagine that this is everything that people want to read about. He's massively rich. He's ridiculously handsome. And he's got a really awful, tragic backstory. This guy is going to be on magazines since he was five and will continue to be on the front of magazines. And they'll use old pictures and they'll use, we've managed to catch him here. But you can imagine that the paparazzi and that will be sitting outside whatever mansion, another garage they can find looking for any picture because it'll be everything people want to talk about. Plus the foundation that his parents set up has been such a key part of the whole city. It's, it's a key part of the whole plot. They pointed out quite clearly that everything in Gotham is connected to this fund. And so that fund will be in the news constantly and therefore the only living member of the family that set it up. I think his face would just be plastered on magazines. As I say, old pictures, but he wouldn't be able to get away with it. He would probably be the number one suspect as Batman. That was a thing they did in year one. It's like there's five people in Gotham that could be Batman. It's probably Bruce Wayne because no one ever sees him. I think he does a good job of sort of fading into the background as well. You see a lot of him out of the costume pursuing people on his motorcycle and stuff like that. Mm. He can be anonymous enough. It never occurred to me the recognition that at the funeral and so on. That didn't stand out as odd for me because I think I probably thought along the same lines as you do, Aaron. He's a 
local celebrity in Gotham. Everyone will know who he is, or people at certain levels will know who he is. But there was something that you picked up on, Isaac, that I definitely want to talk about. You mentioned about he's just cutting about doing stuff. I like the idea that he kind of doesn't know what he's doing. His mission doesn't have a structure to it. There's no purpose to it. He's just out there trying to do stuff and doesn't really understand how things work. And I've put in the notes here about he has a privilege-based blind spot, which is brought up a couple of times. The idea that he is so rich and so detached from the city that he's trying to fix or trying to protect that he doesn't really understand how it works. And there was one moment that really struck out as me as being effective was when he was in Selena's apartment and he picks up the overdue rent bill, I think it is. It's an overdue bill of some sort and it's $500. It lingers on it as if he's thinking, how can this happen to anyone? Because he just has no concept of it. And then Selena directly calls him out on it later. She says, you must have grown up rich. You don't get it. And it's the idea of, well, there's the club and there's the underclub. So there's a lot about how the city functions that he doesn't understand. And I think that in some ways causes the problems that this film is built around because he is just haphazardly beating people up or investigating things, but he doesn't get the full picture, which I found interesting. Yeah, like Aaron was saying before, there's lots of space for him to grow. It's nice to see a superhero movie where there's superheroes. I suppose everyone in this movie, really, like all the, the main sort of characters, they're like 70-ish percent there. They're almost... Catwoman and Penguin and Riddler and Batman and everyone. Actually, I think like compared to like say Marvel movies, there is character development in them. But for example, Iron Man's kind of the same. You might have like knockbacks or panics or stuff, but Tony Stark is the same Tony Stark all the time. <laughs> or Steve Rogers is the same Steve Rogers all the time. Or even Christian Bale. They don't have big personal changes. When this film, towards the end, there's hints that he's aware that he's not his best version of himself yet, and there's loads more he can do to work on to be more effective. Has it been confirmed as a trilogy, or...? They've confirmed another one, for sure, but they haven't confirmed how many there'll be. Yeah, so how many they end up doing. It's going to be like a progression of character, and there's lots of space for everyone pretty much in the movie to grow into the ones we're more used to in comics and stuff. Yeah, and there was some, at least, suggestion of him interrogating everything about himself, where he comes from, the privilege he enjoys, things like that, because there was a suggestion that his father is corrupt, or was corrupt, and that's sort of hand-waved away by Alfred by saying, no, he was a good man, he just made a mistake, and I really wish they'd actually leaned into the fact, it's like, no, your dad wasn't the best person, actually, and you're sitting on this wealth that is built on bad things, really. It doesn't come from a moral source. And it's a very timely message because we're hearing every day about how poor people are being exploited by the rich, about how the rich-poor divide in society has never been bigger. And that's a feature of Gotham in this film as well. So it would have been interesting to see Bruce, and this may happen in a later film, but I would have liked to see it in this film because it specifically gets brought up. But I would have liked to see him think, actually, is this right for me to be in this position and is there better things I could be doing with that privilege I've got especially if it comes from a less than moral source again that was interesting to me but it feels like they just tried to resolve it quickly by having Alfred say no don't worry about it your dad just made that one mistake but everything else was fine he was a good man we'll try about it later on about what we think is coming up but all the stuff with Thomas Wayne stuff is very reminiscent to a recent popular storyline there's lots of hints that's where they're sort of going okay they said yeah there's not much in this movie about it about the sort of thomas wayne stuff but if they carry on the trajectory then when we discuss sequel options my theory is the thomas wayne stuff's coming up okay stay tuned for that later in the podcast but yeah like you said we're discussing this movie <laughs> in this movie it's kind of overlooked a bit Aaron, did you have any thoughts on the privilege and the handling of that and the mistake his father made and things i think they're 
wasn't necessarily enough time to go into deeply to that. It's good to get it in from Bruce's perspective for the reasons that you mentioned, because we need to see the effects of privilege on a person to make his character believable. But to be perfectly honest, if what Isaac says is actually coming true and they give us the court of owls, then to be honest, I would rather they save that plot for the court of owls, for the backstory that they've been talking about with the two families and where all that money has come from over time. So I'm kind of glad it's not in this film because I want to see it explored more as a full-on plot point for the history of Gotham rather than just given to us here because it would have been socially right to mention privilege a few more times in the film. And I think there's a danger that that's all it could have been because we're already at a three-hour runtime. So if you start to put that plot point in, you're not going to be able to do it justice. I'm happy with what they did, with what you said with Bruce himself. He is clueless. He has no idea. He had to learn it. And it gives you what problem we've got in modern society now enough, I think, through the lens of Bruce, who is the main character here. It was just strange that they brought up the whole corruption angle with Thomas Wayne here and then didn't really do anything with it. Because I think the whole Bruce slash Batman being called out on the fact that he is privileged and therefore isn't equipped to understand how things actually work was enough. So they could have got to that point without suggesting that Thomas Wayne was corrupt. You could have just left that out completely for the next film. But then you're sacrificing your world building. So I think that would have been a mistake. If they want to have these as a full trilogy, they do need to, I think, create their world right here, right now. But creating your world and laying the foundation stones does not mean immediately build every house you can. I think that's a big mistake. It's very easy to make, is to push everything in. And then the audience gets really bored with all the stuff you're putting in, or you've had to use exposition too much, and so on and so forth. So I see what you're saying, and I do agree. It would have been nice to see it, but there's enough in here already, and I don't think we needed it here. If they'd have gone down the route that you're talking, I'd want to see it more in there. But then they've already brought up the two families of the Waynes and the Arkhams. And so if they plan to do that in the future, they'd have had to have completely committed to that in the first film, in which case you've got a whole different film. So I'm totally in with Isaac on this one. Hint at it, will build it, put the foundation down, and then make your film about it later when you've got these horrendous revelations to bring up. He doesn't need all the horrendous revelations in one go. Give Bruce a bit of a chance here to recover from all the revelations he's got so far. He's had to learn that people don't have money. That's quite a lot. He's had to learn that Falcone has a connection to his family. There's enough in there, I think. Okay, let's move on to Selina for a bit. Obviously, we'll come back to Bruce and Batman because the film is about them. But for me, Selina was the most interesting character this film had to offer. I think Zoe Kravitz was excellent in the role. And she is the opposite of Bruce in a way because she's very much a product of the city that she lives in. She understands the the cracks that people fall through. She understands all the corruption, all the way things are really done. She knows about the club under the club. She knows that powerful people frequent it, all that stuff. And even when her friend is killed, she knows enough that I need to solve this problem and then leave because I'm in danger here. So she has a very defined arc in that sense. She really understands how Gotham works and how dangerous it is to be there and the fact that she has a bit of a shelf life survivability wise. And I thought she was brilliantly done and she doesn't really learn that killing is wrong, but she is stopped from making that mistake and having to live with that. So there's still plenty of lessons for her to learn and apparently there's a spin-off in development with her 
in the lead, which I would be all for because I thought she was great here. I thought, like I said, she was the best part of the film. And she's a great sort of test case for everything that this Gotham is supposed to represent. Isaac, come to you first. What's your thoughts on Selena? Those two work together because you've got like the sort of Bruce Wayne sort of detached. And then she's like very much in, like in the world. She's aware of the underclub and all the corruption and the sort of seedy deals and everything. So it does work as a nice, not opposites, but they both have the same aim. Or at least they both want to take down the same sort of people. Whereas Batman is more of a childish sort of right and wrongs, taking out the bad guys sort of thing. Hers is more, she's going to hurt them financially, she's going to take them apart. And I think also we can add... So we'll come to Gordon later. But I think like, if you make the triangle of those three, so his is the law and the legal system and just trying to be a good cop in a world with no trust. And then you have Batman, who's the more slightly sort of fantasized, I'm going to punch crime till it stops, look. And then you have her with her essentially kind of undercover methods. Also, yeah, every time they said Falcone, I thought it was Falcone. I don't know if that's anyone else. Every time I've seen him in like Long Halloween or I think he's in Batman Begins. I thought it was Falcone, so when he said Falcone, it's one of those ones that sounds weird. I think it's pronounced however the person who's writing them wants it to be pronounced. It's one of those. It's like when Hermione was Hermione, not Hermione. And I was like, what? <laughs> it was one of those. But anyway, yeah. So Zoe Kravitz was second time being Catwoman. She was also Lego Catwoman. That's right, yeah. <laughs> I think she just said meow a lot of times. I think basically all the characters in that didn't have any lines. I thought she was really great. I think she was up for the role for Dark Knight Rises at one point as well, but I don't think she was ever seriously considered. Yeah. I think it's good for her that she got the good film. <laughs> I think she dodged a bullet there and got a, got a good one. Well, I think the Dark Knight Rises version of Catwoman is actually pretty similar to this one, but this one has far more depth to her because more time is spent putting her in this world and making her part of this world, whereas Dark Knight Rises wasn't really that interested in her as such. So there's, there's a difference there. But yeah, she got the better deal by being in this one and being this version of Catwoman. And she might get to lead her own miniseries. Yeah, there's definitely space. They've left that for her in their sort of plans of this expanded Gotham. There's definitely space for Catwoman's character either to grow as part of the central Batman movies or just herself. One of the big influences of this movie tends to be The Long Halloween, Dark Victory, Jeff Loeb, Tim Sale storylines. And in that, she just goes off to have adventures in Rome. So there is lots of space for her character to do it to her own thing. I don't think I'd expect her to be back in the next film. I don't think which is like gone forever, but I think they'll have her working with Batman and then like separate for a bit and then not so much of a partner as like Gordon will be, I think. I have no idea. But the sense I got from this is they got together for this case, for this aim. And I think for both of them is when they leave at the end, both for the sense of like, oh yeah, I'm not really seeing that person again. Yeah, if she comes back to Gotham, it's almost a disservice to her arc because it's a very definitive decision that she makes to leave Gotham because she has nothing there anymore and it's too dangerous for her to be there. She realises that it's a broken city and she doesn't want to be any part of it and she doesn't think she can fix it. So someone close to her is dead. There's the Falcone connection he dies anyway, but she wants to get as far away from that as possible. So it makes sense for her to just turn her back on it. She doesn't have any heroic leanings. She's very much a survivor, so it wouldn't make sense for her to come back to Gotham. And I don't think there's any manufactured reason to bring her back either. No, I mean, she will at the end. <laughs> I think like every one of these cases, yeah. same with Riddler and stuff, the finale is going to be everybody. But I think for now, unlike Batman, she doesn't see Gotham as a fixable thing. She just wants to get out, get her stuff sorted, get revenge, and then start a whole new life. Find answers, get revenge, and leave. That's her objective, and she accomplishes at least most of it. Aaron, what did you think of Selena as a character? It's interesting you say Selena, actually, because I checked something after I watched the film, 
about Catwoman as opposed to Selina, and I saw something that said that they'd chosen to make this character Selina Kyle. And everything you've said, I'm not going to challenge. I agree with it. Selina was done very well, and she was what she needed to be, playing opposite Bruce Wayne coming from the streets. All of that I completely agree with and definitely enjoyed. The only thing I can add is I found it strange to think of her in any way as Catwoman. So weird to see the character as Catwoman because she wasn't at all. I don't think this is a problem. You know, when it's one of those things you just get stuck on in your head. Because with the Penguin, he's nothing to do with the Penguin yet. They make one Easter egg gag and then they walk away. And so they've left the Penguin aside. And then the Riddler is completely the Riddler. So they lean completely into that. And Catwoman is this strange middle ground where she wears this odd headpiece that covers her nose. Okay, what is it about being an acrobatic, well, cat burglar, that you need to cover your nose? Not your mouth, not your eyes. I can definitely tell it's you, Selena, in that mask. And you put little furry ears on the top. Now, I've been in geek culture long enough to know that people like little furry ears on top of their hats, but these tend to be the sort of cutesy goths that you meet. Not somebody who is a brutally real person doesn't then turn around and say, oh, but if you could just put cutesy ears on top of my costume, please. I was stuck in the middle thinking, this character isn't Catwoman. And just saying, oh, I like strays and putting cats in. I don't know, it was just a bit weird. I said, I don't think it's a problem with the film. I was happy with her as Selina Kyle, and she could have become Catwoman later. I think I wouldn't have got lost in it if they had done like they did with Penguin and just had one tiny little nod to it and then just put the rest aside and don't bother with it at all. Yeah, there was a cheesy line at the end where she said, the bat and the cat, we could be partners. When did you start referring to yourself as that? Okay. Yeah, you're not, exactly. And it just seems so weird to bring it in. They did on purpose. They wanted to focus on Selena. I think if you're going to do that, they would just cut Catwoman completely and let her become Catwoman later on and then wouldn't have had that moment. Did it ruin anything? No. Did I spend too much time on it? Not really. So it doesn't really make the film bad or anything. But if you're trying to do a balanced portrayal, then you can't possibly challenge the portrayal of Selena. So I've got to come to Catwoman to find any devil's advocate arguments in there. Yeah, and I'm really keen to see if they do a series based on her, what that would be like. Because, like I say, she was the most interesting character for me. She had the most range. And I was getting that indication in the trailers, actually, that I would warm to this character more than any other. And that's exactly what happened in the film. It's almost as like if they'd made her the main character, I would have been more on board with it, I suppose. Because you do have a better eye on Gotham through her, I think, because she's living it. She's Mm. in that lower position. And well, that's the point. She's just a big part of that city and understands the grey areas in the way that Bruce doesn't. And that's that perspective. So, yeah. Great character, great performance. I think great character, but I wouldn't have said range. I think she was a bit of an instrument to hit Bruce with. I don't know that I saw her as a character with great range. She did what she needed to do like Bruce did. She has one angle, which is I'm part of the Undercity and I know what it's really like down here and I suffer because of it. But I didn't see any particular range to that. I would have... I wouldn't have said she was the best character. You got to see her do more, I think. I don't think she got to do more than anybody else, actually. Not that it was bad, because I didn't think Bruce was bad either. Bruce, which you've lined up as having one thing to do. I would have said Selena was the same. She had one thing to do. Did it very well, but 
I wouldn't have picked her out as my favorite character because she was pretty much the sledgehammer to hit Bruce with and didn't really have many angles to her beyond that. I'm struggling to think what range she was given. There was a bit more variety is what I'm getting at. For example, when she's Bruce's mole in the club Mm. and she's using her feminine wiles in inverted commas to get information out of people. So that's a measured approach she takes there and it gives Zoe Kravitz some interesting stuff to do as a performer. She can do the anger, she can do the action stuff. So there's there's quite a lot there. I mean, it is very focused on a specific setup and a specific objective, but she goes about it in a few different ways. And that definitely gives her as an actor more to play with. Yeah, see, I don't think I could say that because I would probably more agree with something, even though we didn't use it for this purpose, Something Isaac said, Batman is angry, Bruce is vulnerable. And you do get both angles. And Selena Carl, you've again, you've given me two angles. So I found them to be equal in what they were doing. And like I said, I'm not even trying to say that was bad. I actually think both of them were good. But to me, they both had two angles and they both played them well. Okay. So we mentioned the Riddler a bit there. So it's a good opportunity to come on to him. Obviously, every superhero film, if this is a superhero film, you could argue it's not. But Batman is by some definition, a superhero, so it is a superhero movie. The Riddler is the villain this time. They always have a villain. Aaron, what did you think of the Riddler as a villain, as an antagonist for this film and this type of film? This is the part that I really liked. I very much enjoyed the Riddler and what they did with it. I'm up for a bit of Jim Carrey, like some people are and some people aren't, depending on who you speak to. For me, putting Jim Carrey in the old crazy actually made the crazy entertaining, whereas... I'm not necessarily a fan of it. I was able to watch of it because of it. If you want to then go into a really dark Batman, which I do, this is the Riddler that I wanted to see with it. I was very happy with all parts of it. I was really happy that he was just a normal guy. And he encountered the problem of the city as a normal person would. I mean, he sourced some pretty hideous kit but I guess I just have to assume that he was good on the dark web. And you can hire somebody in a place like Gotham to do what you want. Could I get you to go over to that place near the waterfront and load up a van full of bombs, please? And there's going to be enough people in Gotham saying, yeah, but that's just Tuesday for me. I'm perfectly happy to do that. You can hire people to do the worst kind of stuff because Gotham is the worst kind of place. So if I just put all that other kind of strange stuff into Gotham, seeing this guy as an accountant who was just driven crazy by the corruption was perfect for me. And he happened to be a reasonably intelligent person who liked riddles and he thought it through. And he was actually a good person to have, I think, as the antagonist to the detective Batman. So I really loved Paul Dano playing it. And I thought it was really good choice for this film that needed somebody who was one fed up with Gotham, who could be slightly more realistic, because I agree with what Isaac was saying early on, this Batman felt slightly more realistic in that he was prepared to work with the police. He was out there in the city. He was talking to people. He was getting involved. And the film showed us that, as Isaac said, the populace are afraid of him, which is not necessarily something some of the other films have gone into the detail of. They show you Bruce at a party, but... You don't really see too much more. But this they were showing, yeah, the public are afraid of Batman. And to fit in with that, having this civilian who was 
pushed to this end fitted perfectly. And there's one other thing I wanted to definitely say. So many times I've seen in Batman genres of films, media, whatever, the portrayal of mental health issues being utterly shameful. I quite liked Gotham, the TV series, but its portrayal of mental health was just shameful. It was awful. And so if you're going to bring mental health problems on screen, I want you to, I want you to, I think people generally want you to pay as much attention to that as we are to some of the other problems of society. You wanted to see privilege being seen as bad. You got it. You want to see the problems of women being treated as an underclass. You got it. Mental health needs to be in the same category as these. And it's too easy to show people with mental health issues as old-fashioned clowns from the 1920s and 30s films. They run on and they just scream like they're at the start of an acting class where you have to get the emotion out. No, you don't. That's not what you have to do to get mental health across. And here, our Riddler is portrayed as somebody who was really suffering the anxiety caused by the city, the trouble caused by having no money, the frustration that you can't do anything about this. It's really good, I think, to see Batman is the sort of wish fulfillment. What would you do if you could solve the problem? Obviously, vengeance isn't quite right. We want to build him onto the further Batman. But you know what I mean? He's going to go in that direction. Well, what's the wish fulfillment that you could really take your frustration out on the city? Well, you would go for it in some sort of horrendous way that fits with that deep down emotion that is coming out in exactly the wrong way. I think they showed somebody with a mental health problem who is going to be criminally insane, is going to be locked up in Arkham, but wasn't just a ridiculous joke. Well, I believed that he was a realistic problem that Gotham could have, if then amped up slightly because we're watching Batman and we need to see it a little bit exaggerated. I think I like the idea of the Riddler in this film, or the concept of the Riddler in this film, more than I like the execution of it. I feel like he was too passive a presence for most of the film, which prevented a proper antagonistic relationship from developing. You only really got one scene between Batman and the Riddler where they actually shared any screen time and Paul Dano is only in again a couple of scenes he does the videos and so on but he's only really in the interrogation scene and then later on that scene with the Joker which we'll talk about so I really need to see more of him and everything you talked about the idea of he's been broken by this city the fact that he hates Bruce Wayne because Bruce Wayne isn't a real orphan according to this guy real orphans are kids that are just stuck in rooms full of other kids that are cramped and in poor condition where Bruce Wayne's a rich kid that lost his parents and was protected again by that privilege that is so bad for everybody to contemplate that's all great stuff but the fact that he wasn't an active presence for much of the film took away from that for me and the riddles themselves and the puzzles and so on that he set up I don't think they were necessarily clever enough and there wasn't enough a lot of time spent actually solving them what would happen is the riddle would get read out and Batman would say it the solution instantly apart from the one where it took them like half the film pretty much to figure out that a rat with wings could be a bat which was one of the few laughs that I got in the film but as an idea, it's great. And the fact that he's inspired by Batman, I really enjoyed because that is the point where Bruce realizes this mission ain't working. Is Batman a good idea or is the current form that Batman takes a good idea? No, it's not. And that's when he comes out of the shadows and he's actually actively helping people. He's being a more positive presence, a more visible presence. The symbol is 
not just a symbol of fear and vengeance, it's becoming a symbol of hope. And that's the change he makes because of realising that actually his very existence is inviting challenge, which is something that comes up in superhero stuff a lot. Would these supervillains exist if the superheroes didn't? You never really get an answer to it. And in this case, it's very much the Riddler wouldn't exist if Batman didn't exist because there is that direct inspiration there, which I thought was, again, a great idea. I didn't really understand his plan to drown Gotham because he's someone that wants to punish the corrupt and punish the rich, but drowning the people that can't get to higher ground is a really mixed message there because he's only hurting the people he's effectively fighting for. So that was a strange one. It was very much a weird conclusion. There's definitely a point to be had on that. But before you move on to that, I do feel like I want to come back to you on a couple of points, which is you've twice now asked for more from someone in a certain line. And for me, what you've asked for is a different film. It almost feels like you want to bend this film back towards a different type of Batman. So you said you wanted Batman to be more, you want to see more of him going in a direction. I've already challenged that to say, well, what I think about that one. But now you've said you want to see more of the Riddler. And I would say, no, definitely not. Because that would give you the Riddler that you've got specifically from this comic or the Riddler that you've got from this other film. The fact that the Riddler is passive, the fact that he fades into the defeated underclass here is key to his personality. If he'd already become the -the over-the-top stereotype of himself, then we wouldn't be talking about year two. We would be talking about if he was still going on in year 10 of his career as the Riddler. And I definitely don't want to see that. If he was already dressing up in his crazy costume with the question marks, then he would be year 10 Riddler, but he's not. This is the person who is lost in the shadows that hasn't been seen, whose voice cannot be heard. And the only way he can resolve that through his own, not rose-coloured spectacles, I'm not sure what the actual correct phrase would be, really dark spectacles that show this horrible world as he sees it. You have to have a person who is down, who's passive, who's defeated. You have to have somebody who's looking up at this great feast that's on offer to the cats above, and he's just a little mouse that can't even get near the table, let alone you know any of the food that's on it. So again, I come back to this idea that I think you're asking for things that are a different Batman than this film is trying to give. And if we'd have seen more of those, it would have ruined the film for me, actually. Yeah. And I think you are right in the fact that I want a different Batman, like I said at the beginning, I haven't really got my cinematic Batman yet. I've gotten shades of the cinematic Batman that I want, but nothing has quite been the just right porridge, so to speak, of the Dark Knight that I want to see. And like I said, the concept of this Riddler was great for me. And I like the revelation that Batman had on the back of encountering him and so on. But I thought the execution suffered and definitely the puzzles, because the fact that he solved most of them instantly, it didn't seem like he was being challenged much so the scenes were just he walks in and then solves a puzzle and then they move on to the next thing but even that to me that was more of a language to talk in i also think that the puzzles could become more of a puzzle later on in other films if this person comes back but some of his puzzles weren't even puzzles they were just part of this image that he created especially when he's about to kill Gil Colson, the district attorney. They're not actually necessarily puzzles. They're just the language that I talk in. It's a flavor. So again, I see what you're saying. But for me, you're asking for the Riddler. 
who has really complex riddles. And to me, that's a different supervillain. Or it's a villain that will come in year eight, year 10, year 11 of the Riddler. For now, it's just a way of speaking to Batman and might evolve more into that later. But in the same way that you've got Batman is starting out on his career. For me, the Riddler is starting out on his career. It's more important to see him as this down and out frustrated character than there's the crazy supervillain who has these amazing riddles. No, 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 no. That's not who he is. He's a down and out who wants to talk in riddles, whose hero is Batman, who wants to do something worthy of Batman. So I get what you're saying, but I think you're chasing something that is not this film. And again, if they'd have gone down that route, I think that it would have ruined it for me. Yeah. Isaac, what did you think of this Riddler? I really love this Riddler. When you were saying about his riddles, one were funny because they were puns. Going back to the Adam West, like thumb drive, <laughs> URL, bits which I enjoyed. But also a lot of them had deeper meanings to be figured out later on. So for example, when he kills the man, it's what does the lie do when he's dead? He lies still. Obviously, by the end of the film, we know he's talking about Thomas Wayne. It could also apply to the mayor. Like you said, the rat with wings. Yeah, it's Batman, but it's also Falcone. It's also Penguin. Yeah, but it does solve them immediately. But also, there's more of his plan gets clear, the more we learn there's more extra stuff going on. For example, killing the mayor with the carpet, decarpeter. <laughs> I don't know what the tool's called. It also winds back to his initial one and stuff. But I did forget the Riddler was in the film. <laughs> After they go on the search for the rat, they go on like, the drugs bust, Penguin, Falcone, all this. He's on the rooftop and Commissioner Gunn says, oh, Riddler's put a new message on. I was like, oh yeah, he's, <laughs> I forgot he was in this. He's not really like the main story. Odd combination to make, but it's like when a Doctor Who story has a monster in it, but the monster's just to the side while the actual plot happens. You know, you get the, I don't know, the Weeping Angels in or something. But actually, there's another story going on that's way more important, but they just happen to be the threat for the threat, if that makes sense. Like, they just happen to be the villain. There's a sense of that. And I was saying to Craig, because we watched it together, and we were getting some food earlier on, and I was sort of saying, I'd really like to see a Riddler who's kind of just not a cool, suave, suited, charming Riddler, but like an internet troll. (laughs) Well, we didn't exactly get that. We did get like a very similar, in a similar way to how Batman is only comfortable in the bat suit. This Riddler is only comfortable in his streams, his world, when he's hosting it pretty much. But then when Batman doesn't say the things he wanted to say in Arkham Hospital, he's having tantrums. He'd planned this to work this way, but it's not going his way. There's a mirror between the two. They both see themselves as Eddie Nashton and the Riddler in the same way that Bruce Wayne and Batman are two separate people. It is essentially kind of like a mirror to what Batman could become if he carries on down. He's just angry. I think that's sort of what I got from this Riddler. Oh, I also liked that this is very sort of realistic in terms of weird internet societies where he has 500-ish followers and they're all sort of like, oh yeah, we'll get guns, we'll buy things, we'll go storm the place and like 10 of them commit and like show up in Riddler gear. <laughs> Remind me a lot of that Storm Area 51 thing where <laughs> like 25 guys show up. It's very much like that. Yeah, I really thought this very creepy, very not cartoony, not Jim Carrey Riddler, as much as I love the Jim Carrey Riddler. This is a version with not really sin, even in... I don't think, well, I've not read any comics with this sort of style of Riddler or of animated shows with this one. It's Zodiac-inspired. It's like a sort of more real. It's still recognisably the comic book character, but it's done in a more awful, nasty, not super genius. He lacks puzzles. There's layers to what he's thinking, but it is still quite direct. You know, thumb drive, URL stuff. It's not 
master plans intricately detailed. I don't mind that for the story. It's quite a basic story. Even we're talking spoilers, but there's not too much to spoil, really. What I'd quite like to see, this is probably more of a sequel thing, but if they just hadn't announced it was Riddler doing a murder mystery, I think it'd be much more fun if they just didn't announce either that it was Paul Dano or that it was the Riddler. And that's something that you find out due to the story. But so it's a different film. It'd be pretty evident once they get to the first crime scene and there's a riddle there, though. That would immediately give it away. Yeah. I don't know how you'd have hidden Paul Dano in the movie, but not revealed that he's the Riddler. We only really see him at the end, but we knew it was Paul Dano going in. It's like, how oh, he looked like he looks like Paul Dano, sort of thing. Similar to how does the Mandalorian look like under his mask, Pedro Pascal. <laughs> Obviously, you have to announce it for the agencies and stuff. But I would quite like, in the future, if they do another sort of murder mystery one, if they could keep... Obviously, with a less obvious villain. I can't think of one on the top of my head. They do a phantasm or something. You could do the character-ish, but you could keep the actual person in the suit hidden more. This is wishful thinking for future films. I think if they do the detective stuff, while it was a brilliant Riddler, I would quite like to see one where it's not an obvious villain. <laughs> or they could invent one for the movie, or they could do something similar to, I don't know if it happens in Hush, but in Long Halloween, where there is the holiday killer and we don't know who he is, and it's just someone who's in this world. Obviously, that's not really talking about this movie. That's just stuff I'd like to see. But no, I think, to conclude, this is a very creepy, scary, very effective Riddler. So I do think we'll see more of him. Um, it would be very weird if he did go suddenly into a question mark suit. I'm also kind of curious to see how that would work with this Riddler as well. Thumbs up from me. It's a great opportunity for you to talk about the latte art and how impossible it is. We teased it on a news podcast that you had opinions on this, so... Now's your chance. Tell us why this doesn't work. It's doable with two coffees because what he's got is a cappuccino, which is froth milk. And then on the top, the indication is that he's dragged his finger or a spoon through the froth to cut through and show the drink underneath. But obviously it's like liquid. If you, for example, stir a sugar into a cappuccino, the foam doesn't part like the Red Sea. It'll just close again. I've you know, not worked on the set, but what I think happened is either <laughs> they made a cappuccino with an espresso on the side and used the coffee from the espresso to draw it into the froth, or they CGI'd it. But someone has made one. <laughs> Annoyingly, about a week ago, someone on the Barista Reddit posted that they, <laughs> they successfully made the question mark. I'll send you the picture for the show notes if I can find it again. But yeah, it did bother me in the trailer. <laughs> you can't just draw a question mark on with your finger. <laughs> in the same way that I think in one of the Spider-Man movies, they got an easy Lego mistake wrong about like a number of pieces. And I was like, that's not the number. Who's paying these writers? <laughs> Or it's like Thor getting on a tube to Greenwich. There's people on set that live in London. They could have just told you what station he could wind up at. We were talking offline about this ages ago, how you were trying like a bear to replicate this. So how many failed question mark lattes did people get as a result of this? A lot of people paid for the weirdest, ugliest lattes. I managed to get it almost until someone pointed out that I did it backwards. <laughs> I was like, oh, it's backwards. And most of the time, I was like, the joy of cappuccinos is you just cover them in chocolate. Oop, chocolate on top, it's fine. But I reckon around between 20 and 30 attempts <laughs> were made in, in the run-up to the movie. Have you managed to do it since this genius figured out how to do it properly? No, I'm going to give it another go. Well, a later podcast, we will get an update on whether you managed to accomplish it. Yeah, I'll try my best. Aaron, you did tease that you had a thought on his endgame plan, so now is your chance. Oh, nothing particular. I was just trying to not move on too quickly. I think the end game was built to get 
something for Batman rather than for the Riddler. So the end point where he blows the walls, I can come up with reasons in my head as to why somebody who is frustrated and suffering some mental issues might do it. But I think the film just needed a scene for a Batman. That was all. And somebody said, how about this cool shot? Your standard third act superhero problem where they just need to go and fight something. Well, I had no problem with him fighting the Riddler's minions because... As Isaac said, there's a very believable way of getting followers these days. That was perfect. The idea that these people would just sign up to his website, completely follow him and become actual fans in the old school fanatic sense. That made perfect sense. But they could have just had these people storming a building quite happily by themselves. Why did you need to flood the whole city? If you want a distraction, there are easier distractions. If you want to force people to rebuild the city because you you think nobody's going to pay attention to Gotham until there's a massive disaster. I totally understand that, but then you don't need the minions. So there's loads of things about it that could work for me, but bringing it all together was just, no, we need Batman to do a bunch of cool Batman things. And we've also had this knife on his chest for a while. We need to get him to use that. Mm, fair enough. Although I did quite like that, actually, because I've seen that a lot of places. Why didn't he just throw his batarang? Why did he have to jump across? The whole point was it was year two. It's not a batarang yet. It's just an eye. To me, that actually added to the fact that he was a new Batman. When he reflects back on this, it, like, it would have been really good if I didn't have to jump across there in the future. <laughs> Batarangs. That could be a development. That would be a little Easter egg. That would be really amazing. But yeah, when you try and bring it all together, why did he do the followers and the flooding the city? No, he didn't really need to do that. Like I said earlier, it seems to be at odds with his motivation and what he's trying to get out of it because he's not going to be harming the people he wants to harm by doing that. The rich people can get to higher ground. No, well, that's the thing. I think he could have been doing that. That could have been very believable. It's one of those important things that we used to read online, again, ages ago, but I think there is a certain truth to it, which is don't try and understand somebody who is suffering a mental concern or disorder you can't possibly see the world from their perspective the idea that you have to be able to understand everybody else's viewpoint and think logically like they do well no i'm quite sure you're happy to believe that sometimes you craig also don't think completely logically about everything sometimes your emotions get the better of you i think everybody would admit that preposterous no that never happens no so I don't think we need to be able to logically understand his plan. But what I would say is, nonetheless, it does have to be internally consistent to himself. So I could come up with a perfect argument, I think, which is he reckons nobody's paying attention. So he's going to flood the city because it will force people to change how they spend money on the city. Is that something that is a rational response to poverty? No. But he doesn't have to be rational if he's suffered so much trauma that he's gone beyond rationality. However, I fully admit that's me making that up. The film didn't give us that. And if they wanted to do it, I would have actually rather them give us that. I didn't need the whole water to go away. But it's a long film that I think that whole half an hour, same with Batman, that last half an hour, I think I would have preferred to have had more of the emotional development of both characters in there to give us some of these explanations, reasons, and therefore evolution. Okay, so Gordon then, there's not a lot to say about Jim Gordon in this film, really. He's very much not a background player, but he does serve a very specific purpose. He enables Batman, he trusts him for some reason. You get the sense that there's some history between them that has certainly got them to the point where he allows Batman to wander around crime scenes, even though everyone else thinks 
he's a lunatic for doing so. It feels like he, more than any other character, is fodder for a spin-off that they're now not making, apparently. They're not doing the Gotham PD spin-off as they were before. I think they're merging it with some Arkham Asylum concept, so they've retooled it. So essentially, he's fodder for a spin-off that they're not going to make, which is very amazing Spider-Man too, funnily enough. But yeah, I didn't get a lot from Gordon. You get a sense of he's the last good cop in a city full of bad ones. And I think if they'd focused on him a bit more, it maybe could have called on the mistrust of the police that has come up over the past couple of years in the real world, outside of the film, things like that. It's You probably shouldn't be letting Batman get away with what you're letting him get away with. Are the police a problem too? And in this city they are because there's corruption everywhere, but there's no more to him than that really. Jeffrey Wright's great, so he elevates any scene that he's in just by being in it because he's just so good at what he does. But There wasn't much character there, I don't think. No, I really like this dream. It was very fun watching me like, hey man, chatting to Batman. Batman's just up there in his armour and it's just (laughs) all his gear. And they're just sort of chatting. Can you imagine these two both getting a black coffee from a street thingy and some street meat and having a stakeout in his police car? (laughs) I like the weird buddy cop ness of these two together. But yeah, no, Jeffrey Wright, he's becoming Lieutenant or Captain Gordon, I think. Lieutenant Gordon. I think he's lieutenant at the start of the film, yeah, because there's the other commissioner. I forget the commissioner's name, but he's there. Yeah, and he's he's doing his own sort of crusade. He's hardened against that. He's not the most trusting. He he gets Batman. You can sort of trust him, (laughs) even though he's a stranger in a mask and armor. I'd trust him over Falcone or Cobble Park. They'd clearly have secret stuff going on, but with Batman, you're like, no, this is just a guy in a metal suit with, like, a cape. I've always thought there's something childish about Batman. He is a knight. I suppose it goes back to, like, the Zorro sort of thing it's a sort of child's idea that's just sort of carried on by a billionaire that is yeah i can just wear a scary costume and drive a fast motorbike and just punch every criminal until he sort of stop thing yeah i can see why you trust him <laughs> you know you don't exactly agree with him or you might fear him or i don't know if you'd be like, like i'm going to join in i'm going to team up with him but i think yeah with this gordon he sort of gets i know what this guy wants I and mean, in this case riddler is specifically asking for batman he's like okay i need to make a dialogue between these two this is how the case is working. This is how we're sort of playing it. I don't get a sense that this Gordon wouldn't call Batman in on everything. This is only he's asked for the Batman. This is what this sort of case is. But I guess not so much in other ones where we've seen like a drawer store was burgled or whatever. There's police level cases. There's standard Jim Gordon cases. But this is one where it's, oh no, you can sort of see like, oh, it's centered around Batman. All the things are addressed to the Batman, criminal psychologist or anything. But it's allowing the killer's demands to a point where you can get more info out of them. I think that's why, in this case, Gordon and Batman work together. Though I did read something about this universe's Joker. I think it's like a Matt Reeves interview. The idea that that's a fight they've already had. They've already brought this guy down together and that's their history. But again, it's one of those cases where it's not in the movie. Yeah. It happens loads where you're like, this is what happened before the movie. So what's not in the movie is when you're adding on stuff. But it's, it's very believable in this world. You could sort of see him as a tired cop who's been doing this for a while and he knows how to deal with, say, Cobblepot or Falcone. He knows you can be a bit rough when needed. You can bend the rules when needed. But yeah, definitely if he continues and if he becomes commissioner and gets more I suppose, responsibility, it might be interesting to see how that stuff plays off with this relationship that we've currently got with them, because obviously Batman's not a policeman. <laughs> this is okay because it's sort of his case, but if he's you know, in charge of the GCPD, it's a much different story. But obviously, again, that's not this movie that's going forward. But no, I think for this movie, it was a really good... And I've noticed some people who like, you know, that Han Solo character, the audience character. Oh yeah, this is a guy. He just lives here. He's just going through the story. He's the one that we sort of connect to, I think. 
I really liked Jim Gordon. I think he's really good. Yeah, I didn't dislike him. The idea of him was fine. I just mean in terms of how he was utilised or how often he was utilised in the film, it was a bit lacking and it just seemed a bit, he's here and we'll pick up with him in that spin-off that you may or may not watch or something like that. For such an integral part of the mythos and the film presents him as an integral part of the whole setup, they just don't use him an awful lot. Aaron, what did you think of this version of Gordon? Well, I think he was Isaac. I really enjoyed him. I thought he was well played. I liked his stance on everything. I quite liked the idea that he'd already accepted Batman and that put him at odds with the rest of the police force and therefore he's the one who's going to lead the charge on getting Batman accepted. He was constantly having to fight against the rest of them. I do wonder if the emotional character development you're after is just simply not possible because he's not a main character. He is a sporting character and therefore his time on screen is going to be limited. But if I accept that it is time on screen is limited, I would say it was used very well. Sure. Yeah. There's just not an awful lot to say about him, I suppose, because you don't know very much about him outside of what he does or doesn't do. Again, I just wonder, are you asking for too much from a sporting character with that? Because if you are a sporting character, if you're in the second row of the character roster, then what you're after, I think, instead is, was he a believable lieutenant? Yes, he did seem to have the problems that come with being in the middle ground. He couldn't control all of his staff well enough to just make them accept Batman. And you could see the frustration played out by the actor that the character faced with that. Did you believe all the other parts of him? Did you believe the actor played the parts enough to convince you that he had the beliefs that he held? So when Selina is about to execute somebody, does he respond as he needs to respond? Yes, he does. He doesn't want to see this guy shot, even though he's a criminal. Only Selina wants to see this. I forget the name of the character, the narcotics police guy. Selina's the only one on that rooftop that wants to see this narcotics police guy killed. Gordon does run forwards, does try to stop her, does have a problem with it. So again, it's believable that he is actually a real good guy he's a real policeman and he doesn't believe that you should just commit vengeance does he have problems with batman doing certain things yes he does and the actor gives me that so i would say yeah he was well acted in the position he was given and again i wonder are you wanting more that perhaps you will see in the later depictions and other media and the tv show all the other films yeah, i guess that's the problem i want it in this film i don't want to have to go and do homework always talk about doing homework before you watch something's a bad idea. That's not homework. That's the opposite. That's the future. If we ask you to do your homework by going into the future, that's asking you to time travel. I'm saying that it's not that you have to go and watch something else. I'm saying that a secondary character can't receive the level of development you're after. Do you think it's reasonable that they will give him that development in a later film, in a later outing? Well, they might do or they might not. He might continue to be part of the furniture. We don't know. I do like that you guys can see the sort of assumes more skills of Batman than he has. <laughs> like the bit when he's like, oh yeah, if you escape, you just go up all the stairs, get to the roof of the building. I don't think he knew Batman had a wingsuit on him. <laughs> <laughs> Have you got a helicopter? Or like, what do you do? Like, obviously, he doesn't think Batman's an immortal or anything silly. But there's sort of a sense of, I have no idea what this guy has on him. For now, he's got, you know, he's got the cape and the hat. Does he have, I don't know, sonar? Is he booking the place? Does he have cameras everywhere? He knows he'll never know the level of stuff Batman has going on. And he's sort of like, I can sense this guy is prepped. He's not an idiot. It should be obvious that it's Bruce Wayne. It's like, oh, this guy's got money. Like, this guy can afford stuff. <laughs> but I don't think he knows about the contact lenses, like the, the scanning. He sort of gets like, oh, yeah, Batman's got a lot going on. He's sort of like, I accept. I don't know what this guy's extra stuff is. I don't know what this 
guy's capable of, but I can sort of trust him on like a level. <laughs> he can think logically. He can bend the rules more than me, so he can be useful in that sense. I think he feels like this guy has assets. He has budget. He has gear way beyond what we have. So Alfred, then, this is a character that I think was definitely badly underused because his relationship with Bruce should have been far more prominent than it was, and the film tries to play around with it being more prominent than it actually was. So you've got the the moment by the hospital bed with the, I don't want to see people that I care about be hurt and things like that. He's not in it very much and they don't share much time together and I don't get the sense of their history and their relationship. Andy Serkis did fine with what he was given, but again, it wasn't given an awful lot. That should be a core relationship, definitely. And you do get the sense that he feels guilty for enabling Bruce to do this thing and he is his only connection to his family he is the only mouthpiece he has for his parents as well so there's all stuff the film is trying to do that could be funneled through alfred and really isn't which is a shame yeah i think this might be another sense of going from what the audience we know who alfred is sort of thing but yeah i think andy circus is alfred it's very much base level we don't know too much about obviously saw lots of michael kane as alfred and oh who's alfred in much i'm not i'm not saying the, the other just sleek one what, Jeremy Irons? Yeah, Jeremy Irons is one. He was a bit more sarcastic and point up with it. I think this Alfred, there wasn't too much for him to do, but also it's a big, long film, and he doesn't spend too much time as Bruce Wayne, and really he's not interacting with the Batman element. It's Bruce Wayne's help, he's helping him with the riddles and stuff. But yeah, he is very much it's in the background that occasionally he'll just call up with info or stuff like that. Yeah. Aaron, what did you think of this Alfred? Oh, I agree with Isaac almost entirely on that one. They relied on us already knowing who he was and to give the emotional impact of the hospital bed scene you, you really would want to have seen a little more of him beforehand and if you do want to recreate the alfreds of the past then he just has to be on screen more so yeah would have liked to have seen more alfred yeah not much more to say about him just to round out the characters we have a few more side people so falcone or falcone whichever way you want to pronounce it doesn't matter if this film is falcone and you've got penguin who is again very much in the background, which is a weird one. It's one of those things, don't pay attention to the marketing because it's not going to give you what the film actually is. But he is very prominent in all that. It's Colin Farrell and all these prosthetics and it's great. And there's going to be a Penguin spin-off show as well. So I think they successfully with those two characters do enough to establish that Gotham's a bit weird and it enables all these criminals to exist and thrive. And the Penguin is kind of low level and he's using this Riddler crisis in order to move up the ranks a bit but he's not in an awful lot again i was expecting a bit more of him i don't understand why he's called the penguin he just gets called that at one point i thought they never used it it's used once he's called the penguin yeah i think falcone calls him penguin i kind of got a sense that it's one of these like nicknames he doesn't like but it's a way of sort of keeping him in place yeah, but it doesn't make sense where it came from. If you look at the Gotham version of Penguin, it's because of the way he walks. Other versions of the character get the nickname from somewhere. And it's a bit strange how this is a Gotham where it rains all the time and not once does he open an umbrella. Does he not have an umbrella at the funeral? Does he not hold Falcone's umbrella? I think I so. Know, I mean, he'll definitely have an umbrella. <laughs> it's, like, it's a rainy city. Yeah, he's rich. He has an umbrella. They don't cost that much. Yeah. This has a car. he just never goes outside my car is my umbrella i think it's my favorite thing about this movie was the penguin oh he was good but almost uh we're going to do a tv show about this guy so here's your introduction to him and he has a bit to do here but not much 
Yeah, this isn't his film, but every time he was on screen, he was just like the best thing going on. I really loved this one. It was very funny. I loved how not scared he was. <laughs> like when Batman's bursting in, it's like, hey, take it easy. Don't worry about it. We'll have a chat. <laughs> Obviously, we know we're getting more Penguin stuff with the show, but I think film as well. Like, it's going to be like a major part of this world. And yeah, even though we didn't get too much this time, I really hope we just get as much of this Penguin as we can <laughs> in TV shows. I don't know, parody autobiographies about his life other films he's just so so awful <laughs> he's brilliant I feel like you could almost folded him and Falcone into the same character I don't feel like you really needed both of them actually other than the fact that Falcone is killed I suppose but if you'd condensed them into one person then it would have probably felt a bit better maybe then you have to have the penguin be Selena's father but you could do that no reason why not yeah I suppose those two characters could have been done together I think it's to fit with the sort of idea that these are all penguins not the mafia don I think it's sort of just to carry on with the sort of Catwoman's not Catwoman Batman's not quite Batman feeling of going like oh yeah we'll give you more of him I think Falcone's there really to create a vacuum for the next one he's just there to be the old way so that the new way can come in later on i think yeah what did you think of this penguin and the falcone character i mean we can fold them into one because there's not an awful lot of either of them is that me yeah sorry i forgot to say your name that was crucial you couldn't bring them together for the reason isaac talks about you need to create the vacuum you need to have the top guy go down and you need to have penguin be one of the people who fights for the power vacuum so that's a key part of the future that they've created where gotham is going to be in trouble plus if you didn't separate the characters then you'd have to give a reason why the penguin isn't killed at the end and again that would prevent you from getting the power vacuum so the characters couldn't possibly be merged i don't see how they could get the plot with them as one the thing i would say about both of them is the same as I would say about Gordon. Were they believable in their roles? Did they do what they needed to do? And I would say yes for both. I thought they both very well played. So they were both what they wanted to be. One was a mobster who relied heavily on his persona and his threats of violence to get the lower level Muppets to do their jobs. And the other one was a really slimy, I've got control of the city, I know everybody, I'm completely arrogant, I don't think I can die, I'm fine to walk out here because I've got control of everybody, I'm invincible in this city, even Batman can't take me down because I'm so invincible. So I thought they were very distinct and very well played and did exactly what they needed to do on on screen. Fair. So we've talked about the characters, we've talked about the story, we've talked about the storytelling, but we should get onto a bit of the style of the film and the visual language, to coin a term. Most reviews of this film use the term rain-soaked to the point where it's, it's almost like everyone was pulling from a glossary of terms that you need to use in your review of the Batman. I didn't use the term rain-soaked, actually. I think I mentioned the rainy aesthetic. Obviously, Glasgow, with its Gothic architecture, was most of Gotham City in this film as well. What did you think of the setting, the style of the film, the general setup? What did you think of the character of Gotham City? I think it's something that people generally get right in a lot of the Batman films because you can't really go wrong. I don't know that they necessarily did anything specially different with this, but equally they did a really good job of getting Gotham emphasis on the Gothic very well. It was dark, it was gloomy, it was representative of the fact that most people are in a really bad way. Even those of them that are lucky enough to have a lot of money are still having bad times. We've talked about Bruce's father still had his trouble. Obviously, it was different trouble, but the point is nobody was having a really great time of it. That is what I expect from a Gotham 
I need them to show me that the city is a mess. Otherwise, I can't believe that Batman is needing to be there to tidy it up. I think stylistically, they really hit Batman well for me, though. But I've already kind of mentioned that, where he uses fear, but he does it by simply using the city. It does beg the question, why did he need to dress up like a giant bat? I do understand that if you try and go really realistic and gritty with this, you still have to face the fact that he's dressed up as a giant rodent, and that does add a bit of a strange angle to it. But I think there was still enough of the we're all a bit mad here vibe in the rest of the city to explain why he did want a bit of theatricality. I mean, the gang that he fights in, uh, it seems a shame to use the same thing over and over again, but the gang that he, he fights in the train station they do all have painted faces and every gang has its own markers in the real world but people use tattoos they use neckerchiefs whereas in gotham they're actually using full-on face paint and maybe that does come from somewhere maybe even though the joker's not the joker yet that path has already been started so i think they do have the slight wackiness that Batman needs to explain why he's dressed as he is, but they also give you the more realistic. He uses the sound of his own footsteps to be intimidating. He steps out of the shadows to be intimidating. They go for him, they still attack him, but then he's got the skills to back it up. So, stylistically, yes, they hit the right marks. Stylistically, they give me Batman. Stylistically, they give me a Gotham City that I believe is desperately in trouble. Yeah, it is a city that's decaying, isn't it? Mm. It's weird that it's an American city because using Glasgow, the architecture is so old. A lot of the buildings are older than the United States are, really. Mm. So it's very anachronistic in that way. Maybe that's the wrong word. But it's uncommon for an American city to be this ancient, so to speak. But it feeds into the fact that Bruce Wayne comes from old money. These two powerful families, the Arkhams and the Waynes, starting the city is what they basically said happened. And then the two families came together when Thomas and Martha married. And so Bruce is kind of an amalgamation of that. He's come from Gotham. Gotham's in his blood, almost, Mm. which the film doesn't play with necessarily. But yeah, I like the visual style of it. It looks great. It's shot beautifully. And it has that over the Christopher Nolan take on Gotham for me. I think it's shot much better. I think it looks much better. I think it has much more character and atmosphere to it, which is great. The action's more coherent as well. It's ungenerous to compare it to the Dark Knight trilogy in that way, but I don't think Christopher Nolan's action directing is all that great, whereas Matt Reeves is much better. And there's a more visceral quality to the combat in this, rather than Bruce Wayne being a a ninja relying on deception and theatricality and whatever to trick the enemies into believing he's somewhere else. He's much more of a tank. He wears invincible armor. He goes in, fists flying. He will beat someone to within an inch of their life. And that's part of what the film is doing with, is Batman a good idea? Is this really doing any good? He's pummeled this criminal into probably paralysis. Is that helping anybody? No, not really. And the general setup of the criminals are afraid of Batman, as in when the bat signal's up, a lot of them will think twice and just go home because the bat signal's out. And it's not that he's in every shadow, but he could be in any shadow. That was really good, yeah. Which is, again, a bit of a contrast to The Dark Knight because The Dark Knight leans into the fact that Gotham's huge. Your chances of running into Batman are negligible. So criminals aren't really afraid of him as such. They're just going on about their business. And part of why Gordon turns on the bat signal in that movie is to remind people that he's out there. And he doesn't answer the bat signal because he's busy. That's the line in The Dark Knight. Whereas in this, signal goes on for a specific purpose and he will always meet Gordon on the roof. Which is a much more traditional take, I suppose. 
That's generally what it's for. Neither way is a bad approach, actually. Acknowledging that the city's too big for one person to deal with is valid, whereas this film does and doesn't acknowledge it. The fact that the criminals are afraid enough to go home suggests that he's maybe more effective than the film suggests that he is. Well, that's the thing about fear, isn't it? The whole point of making a weapon out of fear is that the enemy will defeat themselves. So yes, he's acknowledging that he can't be across the entire city at the same time in person, but he doesn't need to be. He's found a weapon that can actually spread out among the alleyways for him, and it is effective. I really value that as a way of getting the theatricality that Batman needs into the film without it coming across as a bit ridiculous. Not that the ninja stuff was ridiculous, but they did lean more heavily into it. It was very literal theatricality of you standing there and making a performance in the older films, whereas this is more nuanced take on it. It's actually thinking, no, how does fear really work? The people will defeat themselves by looking at the shadow and going, yeah, I'm not going in there probability that Batman is in there? Zero. Am I going to go in then? Nope, I am not a computer. I'm out of here. To me, that's clever. Yeah. Isaac, what's your thoughts on this version of Gotham and the general style of the film as well? Yeah, like everyone's saying, it's a very visually lovely film. Gotham-wise, I wasn't a fan of the Nolan one, which seemed to go from spooky Blade Runner monorails everywhere in Batman Begins to just like New York like the rest of them and it kind of felt like Chris Nolan kind of gave up a bit with Gotham whereas this reminds me more of the Joker movie in that everything was sort of hot and sticky and dirty there's bins and rats everywhere they're kind of doing that same thing I was thinking while you were trying it's weird that they had a film so heavily involving constant downpours of rain and a flood and those two things weren't cause and effect I don't know maybe it was in one draft also there was a big sense of Gotham was existing around there's a mayoral election going on as well. I can't remember what the gang was called, but they had Ghostbusters 2 style ghosty masks. This was one of the beginning, Robin the Shop, but then there was loads of signs on them, newspaper news stories about these guys, and I was expecting them to kind of show up or be a thing. I don't know if this is something they're working on for the future. That's the background, though, isn't it? They make it clear that there's this drug out there called the Drops, and so these gang is the Droplet Gang, so they're just part of the background to suggest that these drugs are everywhere. They're so prevalent that we've even got a gang named after them because we love this stuff. I don't know that you need them to be any more than just trying to convince you that it's nasty. And you kind of had the, oh, we thought we got this off the streets, but it turns out we didn't. So the only big success we've had in the past while has been a complete lack of success. (laughs) Yeah, the Moroni drug bust. Yeah, I didn't get the connection between the drug bust and the drugs and those guys. I just thought it was like a different spooky ghost gang or something kicking around. In fairness, it doesn't make a huge deal out of it. Yeah, again, it's like I was saying with the mayoral thing, it's happening concurrently, but this isn't the story that's happening. It's just sort of extra stuff to make the city feel like it's moving and continuing around them. So yeah, like I said, it's a different one, but I quite like when the film Gotham's show, like yeah, in this one, it's the Iceberg Lounge. In Birds of Prey, we had Joker's Abandoned Theme Park and stuff. We've had the Narrows in Batman Begins. I like when there's Gotham-specific locations that are landmarks to this fictional city. I love the inclusion of the Iceberg Lounge as this sort of central club. I always like the idea that we have Batman villains who are also, not businessmen, but they have a, a front for most of their stuff. That's always fun to see. Yeah, Penguin here and Black Mask in Birds of Prey with his nightclub as well. It's always nightclubs, but it's because that's real life. <laughs> for this Gotham, I think like, the closest one is the Gotham we got in the Joker movie. They're both kind of unwelcoming and sinister and unsafe 
And that's just done by. It's the feeling of people walking around. It's the feeling of the news, the way that they put all this extra stuff in to make it. It's always a world of problems. There's no good news in Gotham ever. And that's why, like, when you have a beacon of, not a beacon of hope like Thomas Wayne, but the Wayne Foundation or the new mayor, people really latch onto it because it's the only thing they've got. So I think that kind of works as well. And then obviously, with all the corruption and stuff, it's always ruined. As far as we can tell, I can't remember what the name of the mayor was or the new running for mayor, but she's. I'm guessing in a similar sort of sense of Gordon, that this might be like the first genuine politician <laughs> that's ever been in Gotham. Wayne Manor was very kind of like an MC Escher skeleton thing. It was very gothic. Every room was like an organ in a cathedral. Everything was <laughs> just candles and God, say like poor old, what she called the maid, Alfred's help who had to dust everything. It must be a nightmare to clean, which is probably glad it blew up. <laughs> and like the, not back cave, but the, the unused subway line base thing was more urban. It fit more of like a city thing than a massive unexplored cave system. And obviously infrastructure and power is easy to reset up and connects the roads and stuff. So it feels like a lot of thought's been put into how it works as a city. The landmarks and the known locations and like, yeah, the Batcave, Wayne Tower, Iceberg Lounge, GCPD. They've thought about how they'd work within the city, which is really good. I think we've improved in the last three Gothams we've seen. A lot of the time, like in the Tim Burton ones, you just got these like giant map paintings of this weird superstructure or the Joel Schumacher. There was always a crazy castle or something kicking around. Whereas now it feels a bit more like this is a city that people live in. This is a city we recognize. There's parts of Edinburgh and Glasgow and London and New York. And it feels lived in and more real than what we've had before. It's very intricately built setup. It definitely is. And like I say, the city is very much a character in the film itself, which is great. In terms of the more broad Batman setup, I suppose, in terms of the style of this version of the character, I mentioned earlier, I didn't feel like it was massively different to the Christopher Nolan take. And what I mean by that is, like I said, the lack of sharing a world with anything more out there. So it's it's another grounded and quote-unquote realistic take on the character, which is, I think, somewhat limiting because what it does is it cuts off a lot of his interesting villains. You couldn't have a Poison Ivy or a Mr. Freeze or whoever else, Man Bat even, Clayface, those kinds of things. You couldn't have that in this world. And it's a bit disappointing to me that they're just closing off so much of the mythos on that. Either of you have any thoughts on that? Aaron, do you have any thoughts on removing that side of the character, those bigger, more crazier, I suppose, parts? I'm not somebody that seeks that out, so I am going to be a bit biased in this. But that said, I don't know that it closes off so much that it stops the character being Batman, because we're going to be able to get quite happily something like the Court of Owls coming up, which are a bunch of normal people who just happen to have a lot of normal world power. And that's not going to be a bad thing. That's going to be an interesting thing for how Batman gets to tackle this group and how you might have to use Bruce Wayne to do it. So it might shut down your crazier stuff, but surely not every film has to allow for absolutely everything. In this particular Batman, we're going to see a more real world a more gritty and more down-to-earth Batman, and why can we not just pick out parts of that that will still be interesting? It almost comes back to the time travel podcast. If it's good, then it'll be good. So I won't notice the loss of the man-bat because I'll be so happy with the Court of Owls that I think, why would I want to crowbar in some of these other things? Yeah, that's fair. And I think people have their own desires as to what they want Batman to be. And it seems that 
pop culture wants them to be this gritty, realistic, could almost exist in our world, as long as you accept that someone can be crazy enough to dress like a bat thing. And for me, I want to lean into the comic book stuff. I want those crazy villains. I want all that stuff. Essentially, the Ben Affleck one was a good happy medium there because he is in a world where all those things exist. But this version can't. So it means it will just be things like the Riddler, the Joker, Hush, those villains that are just people. And a lot of the fantastical elements will just fade away or never be used because I don't think this world even allows for it. There's no suggestion that there's anything beyond the real. There's no suggestion of the supernatural. There's no suggestion of aliens. There's no suggestion of superpowers, any of that stuff. So it is a very cut-off version of Batman, in a way. But you've already had the other ones. You've already had a series of crazy films. You've already had access to all of this stuff in the previous iterations. And you say that the world is demanding that Batman be gritty and realistic. Well, I think this is still the first time I've seen them really lean into that. It's not that we're losing them. It's that, well, we've already done those. Let's try something new. This isn't really anything new, though, because that's exactly what the Christopher Nolan trilogy did. I guess, but still, you've had access to your Poison Ivies and your Mr. Freezes in the past. Plus, they have said that they are thinking about doing the Mr. Freeze I had thought for this particular setup. So I'm not sure it is even shut down, but maybe they've lent in that direction with Batman. But this is time they think they're properly committed to it. So again, I come back round to if we've already had Poison Ivy and a real short squat penguin and so on, is it not okay now to just have this side of things? Obviously it's okay because the film's doing well and people are enjoying it. I'm more just talking about my wants for this character or this universe and all that stuff. For me, it feels limiting because you're just sawing off a large portion of potential in that respect. And there's a way to find a balance, I think. If you look at like the Arkham games or some of the animated films or even the Ben Affleck version, where he can exist alongside aliens while still being this weird creature of the night type vigilante. He can, but it is a different character because he has to play on those levels and he can play on those levels we've seen it but if we did we wouldn't get to see the detective so easily because those aliens don't tend to set up a multiple homicide in the same way that you need to investigate i understand what you're saying with the nolan films but i've been asking for a film that really leans into something dark and gritty for as long as you've been doing this podcast And I don't honestly believe that the Nolan films answered that. They might have been leaning in that direction, but they weren't answering that. And then our current DC-verse stuff, again, they lent in that direction by having Superman tackle a camp full of terrorists, but then they quickly pull away from it. So it's almost like they dip their toe in the water, but they wouldn't commit to it. So despite any similarities that you might be rightly able to produce. I would say this is still the first time anybody's really lent into this and given me the film that I want to see. To be perfectly honest, I think the film that you want to see, we've been seeing that over and over again, not necessarily with Batman, but with other superhero films for decades even. 
And this is the first time I'm getting to see this film that I want to see. So it does feel like you've had your go. Let me have mine. No, that's fair. And it is all about what people want from these things and what people like about these things and what people's viewing of these things are. Because DC characters in particular, Marvel, they do tend to follow a specific setup because their continuity doesn't tend to change in the same way. Batman in particular has had many different iterations over the years and it's kind of up to whoever is adapting it what they want to pick and choose from the established traits and established setup. So it's not going to be for everybody. In this case, this one wasn't entirely for me. Isaac, what are your thoughts on sawing off comic book potential by making it grounded and real? Well, I don't think it's sawing off. It's just you have to do it different. Because I love all the weird stuff. I love all the supernatural elements. But I don't think that means that you can't have both. Like, you could easily put a poison ivy in this world. Like, just a fanatic. She doesn't have to be able to physically control plants. She can just be an eco-terrorist or something. Or you could have people like the Mad Hatter who just simply, his reality is skewed and he believes that he is in a wonderland. In the same way that we've seen the Riddler in this, his world is different. His world in his head is, he's living in his bubble of control and if things go out of his control, it sort of throws him off and stuff. I would quite like to see this Batman face something that really could be supernatural. (laughs) I think that would be really fun. I don't think it's out of the realm of possibility to say, like like Aaron was saying, Court of Owls is definitely on the way. And it can be you know, an element of just, it's very human. It could be a real thing. There could also be some odd mind control stuff going on. They could do both. I'm trying to think of another one. You could have something like a killer croc. People going into the sewers and missing. It's still a weird enough world where it doesn't have to be aliens or ghosts, but it could possibly be ghosts or vampires or such i think this franchise will lean into the third category of just the really awful ones based on what we've seen from riddler this world could have a really vicious nasty mad hatter or professor pig like someone who's just slicing people up serial killer ones victor zaz the one who's just wants to kill as many people as possible yeah i do think strictly reality is fun but not amazing i think there is space to do both what Aaron wants, the sort of real, the dark and nasty, gritty and real stuff. I don't think this would be like a world where like, oh, Superman will show up. Like I was saying before, the thing I liked about Batman comics is you can just pick them up. That's kind of what this is. This is a world where it's like, oh yeah, hey, Superman, we last met when we fought someone on this war planet or whatever. This could be a world where, you know, if this was a comic, you could start with issue one of this and read it and you wouldn't need another thing or another book or you don't have to watch a Superman movie to know, understand what's happening in this movie's thing. It doesn't have to be a connected world, but I do think there is plenty of space in this one of their building to do a mix of weird and nasty Batman villains. There's a lot that haven't had their go yet that would be very entertaining. There's some really creepy, weird, magical ones that would be really fun to see. And I think if you want to stay grounded and real, you could easily just rework them in a way where it could happen. I think the easiest way would be simply to have them detached from reality or they see things differently or believe things as like zealots or... I don't think there's too many villains that you definitely couldn't do. I think most of them you could work around to find ways to fit them into this world. Yeah, maybe. Poison Ivy could be a crazy environmentalist or something like that. I suppose there's ways you can do it. I've said what I've said. I'd just like to see the, the more outlandish stuff, especially when Batman is human and is dealing with people with superpowers and having to figure out how to fight someone with superpowers when he doesn't have any. Things like that. That's what I want. I want all the weird and wonderful stuff. I mean, I agree with that because, like, for example, in this movie, this Batman and this Fiddler don't fight because it's not a fight. Batman just knock him out. It's fun to push him to his limits. It's boring 
if he's just like, I can punch the Joker, I can punch the Penguin, but say if they do go down the path of the Court of Owls being abilities to deal with the dead or something, or there's a ghost or something, then it's beyond his human-like capabilities to fight it. And he has to work around that and still stop them, even though he can't just simply use his strength to stop them. Not doing that is missing a big fun element because he's like, still Batman. We all know if they bring in Two-Face or Joker, the human ones, is not going to knock them out. <laughs> like, that's how the film's going to end. Yeah. So it is fun to have something a bit more of a challenge as well. Yeah. Okay. So sequel stuff and spin-off stuff and future teasing. So we had one major one that everyone was talking about. One that actually leaked months before the film released and I kind of forgot about it until it actually appeared on screen. And I don't know how you pronounce the guy's name. Is it Barry Keegan? Barry Keegan? I don't know. But anyway, he was in Eternals as well. I checked with an Irish friend and I think it's Keoghan or Keoghan. Fair enough. But anyway, he is in it as the Joker or a mysterious stranger who appears in Arkham, who is the Joker, but never named. He suggests to Riddler that they might have a bit of a team-up in the future, and they leave it at that. So what did you think of this tease, Aaron? You're a big Joker fan. You love the film and the character in general and other things. Difficult to think anything, actually, because it is literally just a tease. You don't really know much about him. I've gathered from other sources that he's not yet the Joker, but I didn't really get that from the film. You've gathered from other sources that they have a history. A deleted scene, I think, is going to come out at some point to refer to that history of whoever their character is before he becomes the Joker, has had a showdown with Bruce and Isaac mentions that Gordon's part of that. But when you actually just see what's there on the film, it could have been anybody, because he teases the word clown without actually saying it sure but anybody could say that and they do give you a laugh iconic as it is i guess it's really hard to do anything with the laugh that hasn't been done before you really need to put the laugh into the entire performance certainly hearing a laugh in the shot that we got didn't do anything for me I didn't think, oh, that's a new take on the Joker. You know, you couldn't. So I think all we are doing here is working from a premise. Did I miss something defining about the character? No, not really. It was just a tease. And obviously the laugh was to give you an indication of who it is. And Mm. not seeing the full face and stuff like that stops them from having to design the Joker yet. Yeah. It could be that in some versions of the comics, the Joker started off as the Red Hood and then fell into the vat of chemicals and stuff. I don't think they'll do the vat of chemicals here. It'll be a lot like the Heath Ledger take, I would imagine, Mm. which is just a guy with scars and makeup. Maybe not scars, but certainly makeup if he's going to be the Joker. I kind of rolled my eyes when it appeared because do we have to have the Joker so soon? Can we go one film without the Joker showing up? Again, it's kind of what I was talking about, forcing themselves into a corner with his gritty and grounded take it's already doing the joker we couldn't have two films with no joker well one full film but two films because it's likely he'll be the main figure in the next one if he's teased here i would imagine well i was thinking that they could go the thanos route and just have him do the final boss and they just tease him in both every film he recruits a villain who's in the cell next to him the trick of it is though whereas you don't necessarily need to see the origin story of batman because we've all seen his parents shot in the alley many times before i don't know how you get away with not using the joker and oh we all know he's there still well no he still needs to be in the plot bruce's parents being killed is still in the plot you just didn't have to see it so i think he does need to be 
in there somewhere if he's going to believably be Bruce's real nemesis, as usually you do have. You don't usually have the other villains being that connected to Batman. They are the people he fights on his day job, or night job, I suppose, if you will. But the Joker, though, is a personal connection to Batman. So I am thinking that I did want to see the Joker somehow in the film, but I probably would have been okay if it had been newspaper headlines, some sort of mention from Gordon about, well, this guy is as crazy as the guy from last year, and Batman says, no, he isn't. Last year was really crazy. It could have brought it in somewhere such that we didn't necessarily need the actor straight away. I think it does need to be in there because it's so defining. But yeah, maybe make it more like they did with Bruce's parents. Refer to it tangentially somehow. Don't put it in the middle of your screen. Yeah. Isaac, what's your thoughts on the Joker tease? Another usually a cynic, but I'm going to go with the Joker movie made a billion. People still talk about Heath Ledger and Jack Nicholson. The Joker's got like three comics ongoing. I don't think they would have allowed them not to include him in the film. I think it's one of these ones where it's so bankable. It's just like, you got to put the Batmobile in, you have to put the toys in, you have to have the Joker in. He's just so popular, you can't not have him. I think it might be, if I was putting money on it, you'll be a final boss, at a guess. There's three characters who could show up like every day. For me, it's Joker, Darth Vader and the Daleks. <laughs> The overused villains. <laughs> my heart was beating in my throat in that scene. I was like, oh my God, it's a joke. Oh my God, it's a joke. It's here. You're an easy mark for these things. An easy mark things. for those ones. <laughs> when it was like, they call you a clown. I was like, ooh, I know who this is. So yeah, no, I was very excited to see the Joker. It's so silly. Those people in marketing know what they're doing when they put in reference to a clown or just a guy smiling. Maybe in another movie, there'd be a guy who's just like, he's just laughing to himself, reading the newspaper or something. I'm like, ooh. Is that the Joker? Is he having a laugh? <laughs> well, Batman drives past a comedy club and I'm like, ooh, is he in there? Telling jokes. I'm an easy mark for that character. But I do think that was a note from Warner Brothers. Can I have a riddle? That's cool. That's cool. We have Catwoman. If we're giving you the money, we need to make sure it makes money. So put like Joker in there somewhere. Obviously, yeah, we have barely any information on this, what his character's like or what his version is or if this is the Joker or just a, a mannequin mate. But I'm pretty sure it's a Joker. <laughs> It's the trickster. It's a trickster. I think it was more of a financial decision than a story one, but I'm also fine with that. It feels out of place as a scene as well. It's almost a post-credit scene, isn't it? But it's in the body of the film. The post-credit scene in this is ridiculous. You wait and it's just goodbye. Apparently, if you freeze frame it, which you can't because you're in a cinema, it gives you a web address to go and you get some Easter eggs if you've solved riddles on this webpage, but I didn't do that. I just watched a YouTube video of someone who did. So I'll link that in the show notes and you can watch what other people have done rather than do it yourself. That's what YouTube's all about, I suppose. But it was almost a post-credit scene. So it was almost, yeah, set up for the sequel. And Batman Begins did that, actually. They set up the Joker at the end where Batman goes to meet Gordon on the roof and it's like, go look into this serial killer for us. He's got a flair for the theatrical like you and he leaves this as his calling card and it's the Joker card. And to me, that was a more effective tease, actually, because it gives you no sense of when the Joker will show up. Obviously, it was the next film. And 
what he'll be like when he does, where we already have a bit of a sense here. They've already cast him and so on. So they're probably going to do something with him pretty soon. You can imagine that maybe in some of these TV shows that they're going to do, he'll show up in the background somewhere. Might be in the Penguin one. I'm assuming, like you said, they switched the Gordon one to the Arkham one. He's going to be in that. He's in that hospital currently. He's going to show up in this last episode or whatever. Or they'll talk about him. He's just through this door, but we can't see him yet. Send in our therapist, Harleen Quinzel, to go and speak to him. So Isaac, this will be one that you get to take more than the rest of us because you're more familiar with more recent comics than either of us are. You said there's some things they're definitely hinting towards that you picked up on here. I know the Drowned Gotham, that was a comic arc at one point, wasn't it? Yes, that was a Riddler one. Year Zero, I think. It does Drowned Gotham. It was a weird plot element in the movie. Then it's like Waterworld, but Batman. Kind of. The main one is... As Aaron said, it's all the Court of Owls stuff. In fact, the conversation where he's saying that Falcone had a bullet wound and was taken and he had his operation right here on the table, that's like word for word out of that book. And that's all to do with the past of Thomas and Martha Wayne and the Arkhams. In terms of modern stuff, definitely Court of Owls is on the way. I don't know if they'll do anything with the Hush one as well. He had Hush written on because he was given Hush money. Well, the Riddler's costume is very similar to Hush, isn't it? Yeah, and the taped over face and stuff is quite similar to the bandage over face. I don't think that will become anything. In the animated film Hush, the Riddler is Hush in that film. It's not Thomas Elliot. Maybe that's a nod to that in a way. I don't know. Yeah, I think that's just a nod. They've got big plans for the Penguin, Catwoman, Joker, like the big ones. I definitely think Robin is coming. I think this ties into Batman saying he can't be everywhere. When he was chatting with Alfred about having people to care about, I like work with Catwoman and Gordon, working with people. Batman's never really not working with anyone except when he's broken or when he's at the beginning where he's just by himself and he's not making a difference. And then when he works with Gordon, Selina, and maybe in the same way that Riddler thinks they're a team. And then obviously he's lost Selina Kyle now, as far as we're aware, she's headed off. I think we're leaning towards a Robin or Nightwing or at least a partner in some way that's another vigilante. I'd love to see a Robin personally. It's such a big part of, say we've had, you've got Batmobile, Joker, Batman, Gordon. We've not had a proper Robin for ages. That's me being wishful, but I'd love to see a Robin introduced at some point in the future. I'd like to see it as well. There are more Bat Family stories than there aren't. And Robin came into existence a year after Batman did. I know there's a side of the fandom that rejects the whole notion of a sidekick and Robin and whatever. I think some of that is a holdover from the campness of the 60s show. And I think some people just hate Robin as a concept, as a character. There's a few concepts associated with Robin and the other members of the Bat Family where Bruce identifies people that need help and trains them to be able to protect themselves. Also, Robin is in a way a failsafe in case Batman ever goes too far. He's training someone that can take him down. That's part of it as well, or at least in some aspects is part of it. And in terms of the Robin character, some have said that they've set it up in this film by the way he looks over at the other orphan child. I don't think that's the case at all. I don't think that's deliberately setting up, oh, this kid is going to be Robin. That is, as Aaron said earlier, it's the I was this kid. I don't understand how to relate to this kid. How do I deal with this? I remember being this. It is just that. It's a reflection of himself. And it's a bit dubious that people seem to be just reading films as constantly looking for setups for other films, which is not the best way to 
look at these things, I think. I think you lose some of the symbolism and the metaphor and what they're trying to say with these things. So I don't think that young orphan child is anything more than another victim that is like Bruce, that is dealing with the same thing that Bruce did as a child. Yeah, he's just recognising himself. I think if there was a Robin in this, it would be more similar to Catwoman. It's someone else in the city who wants to make a difference, but in this case, they're both less altruistic and will eventually team up. I don't think it'd be like, hey, you're 10 and your parents are dead. <laughs> <laughs> Here's a yellow cape and I could build a sidecar into my bike or whatever. I think it'll be a case of he'll see someone as fierce as he was when he was 18, 19. And, oh, I wish I had a mentor sort of figure to put me on the right path to make a real difference. I think it'd be more of that kind of story than, a oh, the circus boy's living with me now. And I definitely think of all the live-action Batman that we've seen, I mean, in terms of the solo ones, like Bale, Affleck, and that's it, actually. (laughs) Those two. But the most recent two, I think Pattinson's Batman would really fit with a buddy. Robert Pattinson said that he wants Robin to be 13 if they bring him in. He wants it to be that proper accuracy in that sense. This kid that doesn't have anybody else. Because the Chris O'Donnell version, he was like 25 or something like that, so he doesn't need to be looked after by anybody. (laughs) But he's taken in by Bruce for whatever reason. So yeah, I would like to see Robin as well. I'd like to see them finally do that story. And that might give me what I'm looking for with the Pattinson Batman as well, that extra range of dealing with different emotional aspects. Do you want to see Robin, Aaron? Or would you rather they just sidestepped it? Is that an aspect of the mythology you can do without? Like all the supernatural and whatever stuff again i think it comes down to if it's good then it's good i'm neither one way or the other on that i don't need to see robin i wouldn't hate it if it turned up just for being itself so yeah it depends what i do with it it's not a red flag for you as it is for a lot of people no i'm interested you've mentioned a couple of times you've not seen your batman so what would be in your batman the movie that goes like oh this is it this is what i've wanted what's been missing The closest for me is the Arkham series. I think that's a good balance of the dark and the weird because he is still a dark character and he's still conflicted and all that stuff. And these are video games, obviously, so the storytelling is very different. The Arkham games are an extension of the animated series. It's Kevin Conroy in the voice, Mark Hamill in the voice. The villains are very similar. So I kind of want that version to be made live action because he can be everything and can do everything and can encounter everything. That's what I want, by and large. Do you think we'd get that? Because another bring in Michael Keaton back for The Flash. Because that's a Batman that would be in the year, like, 20 or like 25 years in. Do you think that'd be the sort of Batman for you? We don't know anything about the Flash movie. We know he's in it. But if they did like a... Here's a guy that's like, oh yeah, I'm going to fight some bank robbers and Clayface and a vampire. (laughs) Do you think that might be something we will get eventually? Or are you not holding your breath? I don't think Michael Keaton's going to be as prominent as... Robert Pattinson is, for example. I think he's going to show up as secondary players in other people's things. So he's going to be in The Flash. He'll have something to do in The Flash that's multiverse related. I don't know what that'll be. He's going to be in Batgirl as well. And I don't know if that'll be a multiverse component to that film. I get the impression that that version of Batgirl will be inspired by that version of Batman. So that's where she'll take her cues from. Because the fact that J.K. Simmons is in it suggests that it's in the universe that Ben Affleck is Batman, but Ben Affleck won't be in the Batgirl movie, so she has to be inspired to take the Batman from someone. And the fact that Michael Keaton's there probably indicates that that's who that'll be. So no, I don't think Michael Keaton will end up being that, or maybe there'll be dialogue that he says that suggests that he once was that Batman. He'll talk about fighting different villains A bit like in the recent Spider-Man movie, I guess, where they're all sitting about talking about villains that they've faced. It'll be a bit like that. Or in the Arrowverse, in Batwoman, 
they're constantly referencing stuff Batman got up to when he was around, but they'll never actually show it. So I don't know how long it'll be before it loops back around again to giving me the potential for that. We almost had it with Ben Affleck and then they abandoned that whole setup. So it'll be a while, I think, before they loop back around. They will eventually, though, because Batman is a character that's just going to constantly be reinvented. And we've talked about it before, how DC do that with Batman and Superman, where they just hit the reset button every five minutes and we never really get to see them progress too much. So I don't know that we'll ever get the video game slash animated series Batman or something like it in live action. Maybe not in my lifetime. This is a sort of future movies question for both of you. Is there any one particular villain that you'd love this universe to bring in? Is there any one that you feel has been missing that you think would be a perfect suit? I'm not sure I know my Batman villains well enough to say who's been missing, because everybody's had a show at some point of the ones that I know. Clayface has never been in a film. I don't know if he's that interesting, though. Never heard of him. He was in Gotham. There was that story where Clayface was assuming Jim Gordon's identity in that show. Potentially was at the point where I was having a bit of trouble with It wasn't very good. It was one of those things where he was acting so out of character that it was ridiculous that no one noticed. I think the only one I can think of is one that you've already mentioned, because I think it would be as nasty as you mentioned it, which would be a decent Mad Hatter who had an Alice character as well that was somehow connected. And it's very easy to make the Mad Hatter just utterly ridiculous. And it would be a challenge to make them believably real. So maybe I'd just set as the challenge, if you can take something so crazy and turn it into something believable from the real world, then I would say surely that has to be good. So take that challenge. Here are some of the biggies they've not done, because they've done most of them more than once, haven't they? Most of the big ones. Bane's been done twice, Poison Ivy's been done once. So there's room for that to happen again, I suppose. Mr. Freeze has been done once... The Penguin's been done twice now, Catwoman, etc. So what are some of the big ones that we've not really seen much of or any of? Scarecrow we only had the once. Scarecrow is probably a good fit for this world, I think. A riff on Scarecrow. Yeah, I'd love to see Mad Hatter. The ones that you could do awful. I don't know, if, Aaron, if you played the Arkham games, but Professor Pig is particularly nasty, who is just essentially a butcher. Hugo Strange would be another fun. I don't think he's shown up. He's like a Lex Luthor-ish. I don't know much about him, actually. He's been on wish lists for a while. He was in Gotham. Yeah, I was about to say, I know him from Gotham. I'm not seeing the animated show, but there's one called The Ventriloquist who sounds particularly horrible. His whole deal is he has a doll. He believes the doll's a gang leader thing but actually it's just all him and all the awful stuff he's doing is just kind of projecting onto like i just work for him i'm just his lackey or i'm just his driver or whatever and actually it's just a man he's refusing to see what he's done that was snuck into gotham as well i don't know if it was actually the ventriloquist but they certainly snuck in the idea of the doll but they were just cramming stuff in at that point potentially yeah in terms of like the big ones they were all pretty much had their go but i think if i was picking just one i'd really like to see a, a very creepy mad hatter you know it's really nasty stuff with him poison ivy and mr freeze they've not had a proper go they've had a fun go but you can do another version of them or you can take them in another direction craig have you picked anyone some of them you just how would you do them like Clayface, he's just an actor who becomes well clay i suppose there's other villains he shares with other people people like solomon grundy and so on the only way i could see him doing like a clay face is if it's someone who's basically a master disguise yeah. I don't know if you could do like a literal version where he just is a mud man. 
Not in this take, anyway. You could do someone kind of like, what's he called? Spider-Man villain. The chameleon. Yeah, he's just good enough of an actor or disguising that he can just walk in and out and can have alibis anywhere and stuff. So I think with all these characters, you can stretch them enough to make them still the same one, while also making them fit in the world. I know in the animated series, the Two-Face version there was Bruce Wayne's old friend. They were friends from way back. So you could try something like that. But this Bruce Wayne doesn't have any friends. So you'd have to make a friend and then this friend becomes a scarred villain. There's a lot to do in one film. That's the problem, I suppose, for me, is it just keeps looping back to the same people. Joker, Riddler, and so on. Scarecrow probably fits into this. The idea of weaponizing fear in the other direction. I don't know how you'd do it without the gas and so on, but you could find a way, I don't know. There's different spins on that. Again, a lot of the villains I want to see are the higher concept ones, the more supernatural or superpowered ones, because we haven't really seen much of them. So on that note, we should probably wrap up. We can go back to our caves and be secure in the knowledge that we have debated the Batman. As is customary, Aaron, do you want to give your final thoughts on the Batman? I think I can settle with it was the gain of what I've been asking for in this podcast for years. I think I've finally seen something that is a bit more dark. There's something that is tackling issues that are a bit more real without having to jump into wish fulfillment. I'm very pleased with Robert Pattinson. I thought he did a great job. And stylistically, as mentioned, this is one of those ones where I was sitting there in my seat going, yep, I love that. Yep, I love what you've done there. Yep, that was amazing. All the way through the film. It was a bit long for me. I did start to notice that I was sitting for that amount of time. It didn't ruin the film. It's just I'm not sure if films go to three hours. I'm really going to love that. If every Everybody does it. But I don't want to end on that. I do want to end on, I think this could end up being one of my favourite Batman franchises. Okay. Isaac, what are your final thoughts? I love this. I've had a great time. Even any wobbles, I think it's sort of forgiven under just how fun and entertaining and it's got a little heart. So I saying how dark it is and stuff. I really like the end bit where he's helping everyone. This is a nice new angle for Batman. I like this. I like one that's kind of figured out that it can be good for Gotham. It doesn't always have to just punch everyone. <laughs> for me it's not really a contest if this franchise carries on at this quality then it will blow all the other ones out of the water this has got a strong chance of just being for me the definitive the best live action Batman that we've had cool my final thought is I'm just going to stand by my earlier statement where I say I think this was okay I liked some of it there was aspects of it I didn't like it's not the Batman I want to see necessarily well, I do acknowledge it's well made and a lot of people really like it and really want this take on the character to continue. And I think there's things it can do in future that will interest me, definitely. It's just, I didn't get enough out of this film for me. So yeah, I'm going to stick with it's okay. Good stuff. Since I'm doing the final wrap-up thoughts, it ends on a bit of a dour note, which is perhaps appropriate for a Batman podcast. Yeah, so go and stand out and watch Edward go by in the rain. All of our podcasting makeup has drained off us from all the sweat of talking. <laughs> Just try to imagine a world where podcasts aren't required anymore. Somewhere out there, someone's not listening to a podcast. Just going around slapping headphones in people's ears like, listen to my podcast. Just like with Batman, every time you go out and you see someone wearing headphones, you think not everybody's listening to the podcast, but someone might be. Someone might be. That's why I'm fighting. That's why we're talking. That's why I keep going. So that was our discussion on The Batman. Aaron, thanks for joining for this conversation. I don't think you would have ever forgiven me had I arranged a day that you couldn't make. Glad to be on this one, yep. Isaac, thank you for joining as well. Yeah, I had a great time. Thank you for the artwork you supplied. Oh, yeah. I'd like to thank Neil Stenson for the supplied music. It's playing us out as we speak, which is 
always great to hear. If you enjoyed what you heard here, then please do subscribe on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, anywhere you get your podcasts. It'll be on your feed if you're already listening to it. Just hit subscribe. And if you can rate on the thing that you're listening to, please do. And there's a very particular number that we're always after. Aaron hates it when I ask him. So Isaac, I'm going to ask you, what number would we like people to give us along with a comment? Big old five out of ten. Or five out of five. Or... <laughs> <laughs> give us five. No matter what rating it's on, if it's out of a hundred, we still want five. Engagement is engagement. It doesn't have to be good engagement. It doesn't have to be positive engagement. <laughs> it's like the never-ending war on crime in Gotham. As long as you're doing something that's enough if you want to speak to us about the batman batman dc anything really hit us up on facebook or twitter under neil before blog or you can catch us on neilbeforeblog.co.uk there's a comment section please make yourself known but do please join us next time on neil before pod same bat time same bat channel